CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And this one is a little bit of a treat. Actually, this wasn't really in the works that much, but... Uh, I saw Mitch was in quarantine and then I said, oh, come on the show while you're in Brizzy. Um, and yeah, we were able to make it happen. Pretty stoked. I've uh, known Mitch since he was a wee, wee, wee little lad as a part of that Epic Cairns crew that I always reference to. And man, Mitch is probably the kid in the old Cairns crew that is... Uh, yeah, he's he's maybe doing the the biggest things. Uh, he basically has now got a three year deal. Uh, well, he's done his first year, but he's got a, another two year deal with Team HRC in the four fifty class in the MXGPs, and it's just huge. Uh, and what he's doing with that ride has been uh, super impressive. So really dope to have Mitch uh, able to make an appearance. I definitely would have done one of these at some point via uh, the video chat, but just worked out that we got to do it in person. It was pretty cool to sit across from Mitch after everything that he's uh, put into his racing over the years and to be achieving at the level he is, is, uh, is pretty incredible. Uh, this episode is as always brought to you by the awesome guys and girls at MX store. Give the gift of riding this Christmas with the help of mxstore.com.au. If you're stuck on what to get your partner for Christmas, then you could always follow the links to the MX Store Christmas gift guide. Once you're on that page, you can select if you are shopping for him, her, young or old. They have a helpful buyer's guide for gifts, gear, protection and lifestyle. And there are also gift guides for your trusty steed. They also have a great selection of gift ideas listed by price. If you're still struggling at this point, then you can always get yourself an MX Store gift card. That is a guaranteed winner right there. For all this and more, head to mxstore.com.au. If you haven't already ordered your graphics from Rival Inc., then you've missed the Christmas cutoff, but that doesn't mean you can't get some of their epic new merch range as a little bit of a stocking stuffer. Head to rivalinkdesignco.com to shop their new style of tees, hats, and more. And if you haven't got your new set of stickers for 2021, then they have just dropped a bunch of new styles as well. Make sure you use the promo code GYPSYGANG for 15% at checkout. Also, if you're one of the lords that is doing the mid 2K build, make sure you're getting your kit done through the guys at Rival and make sure you get it in early in the new year to add the finishing touches to your build. We are going racing early next year, people. 
We're also brought to you today by the new sock range at Fist. I got absolutely stooged when the samples of the socks come in, so I had to wait like everybody else, but damn, it was worth it. Sammy and the crew have absolutely nailed these knee brace socks, and they are everything I look for in a riding sock. Top shelf material, perfect fit, and they are super breathable and comfortable behind the knee. And speaking of the crew, they have also dropped their range of crew socks, and that means you can rep one of your favorite moto brands away from the track. Head to fisthandwear.com and use the promo code GYPSYGANG for 15% off, and follow us on Instagram at Podcast for a fist prize pack to be given away this week. I love spending Sam's money. That promo code is also going to get you the hookup at drytimes.com and dixonquality.com.au as well. So go ham. Speaking of giving stuff away, if you buy any new or used car from Kyle at Crick's Tweed and tell him you're a member of the Gypsy Gang, you are going to get a $500 voucher from MX Store. I've spent 2020 in the brand new Triton from the guys at Crick's and it has been an awesome daily driver as well as a weekend track car and it has been great for road trips to those distant tracks. Head to crickstweed.com.au or call and ask for Kyle to schedule your test drive. $500 from MX Store people, I repeat. That Triton is about the only thing that I don't have rolling on Max's tires at this point. Maxis has been an awesome partner of the podcast in 2020. And like my father said before me, a fresh set of tires is the single best performance mod you can make to your motorcycle. Right now, I have the IT on the rear of my 350, but I've used the ST and the sand tire throughout 2020, and I've never been looking for more from these tires. If you haven't tried the new line of Maxis tires and need some new rubber for the holiday period, head to your local dealer and ask for a set of Maxis tires. And a special thanks as well to the guys at Motorex for constantly innovating in the lubricant space. From their epic air filter kit to helmet foam, these guys have made working on bikes much more enjoyable this year. We are brought to you today by the legends at Boost Mobile. Boost Mobile are not just the best prepaid provider in Australia, saving you money on outdated lock-in contracts, but they are also able to save you money on the purchase of your new phone. Their refurbished phones come with a 12-month warranty and they all pass a 72-point inspection to guarantee quality. They come with free shipping and if you live in a metro area, you may qualify for next day shipping. If the initial cost of a new phone is going to break the bank, they also do zip pay. Everything from the latest Samsung all the way to a new iPhone. To find out more about refurbished Boost phones, head to refurbished.boost.com.au. Well, that is it from me. Thank you very much for listening. I'm super stoked to have got this one done with Mitch Evans. And just a reminder, we just dropped our very own new Get Excited glove in partnership with Fist. That is available on the Gypsy Tales website, gypsytales.com. Appreciate your love and support until the next episode thank you very much for listening big bitch evans is in the building mate what's going on brother not much mate thanks for having me on did you ever think a thompson road on a thursday night doing motos around the uh 
the Supercross track that we would be doing a podcast in the Gold Coast, you ride for HRC, and somehow people like listening to me talk. <laughs> Definitely not. But, um, yeah, like, you know, as a kid, you just, you're in your own little bubble and you don't ever think that you'll grow up. At least I didn't anyway, and I kind of wish that I didn't grow up, you know, like. I don't know, when you're a kid, you always say, like, yeah, I want to grow up and be old and do all these things, and now that you're here, you're like, man, I had it so good as a kid. Yeah, we literally... Oh, pull this up a little bit closer, too. We literally did live in a bubble. Like, that's one of the things that when I moved to America and went out, like, into the world, I was like, dude, we lived in this tiny radius. Obviously, you travel for races and stuff, yeah. but as a kid, I was like, Edmonton, school, Thompson Road... Mariba, right? Like it was just yeah. this tiny little universe that you that you live in. Yeah, yeah. It was, but really, we had everything there. You yeah, know? like we would go riding. We could go to the beach. We could go fishing. We could go swimming in creeks and cliff jumping, and then we could go up to Tinaroo and go skiing. So, I mean, you know, always growing up, I was like, why do I ever need to leave Cairns? We we have it's so good here and i remember going to school with all these people and they'll be like i can't wait to get out of cans and yeah. i was like man your my your life must be pretty boring then yeah i never got that like obviously when you grow up the way that that we did we're always doing something whether it was going to races or if not there was yeah you're at tinaru there's always yeah. stuff going on i never actually got that but maybe we were just lucky to have cool parents that actually like took us to do stuff yeah i yeah oh when you grow up, you kind of like meet other people and you, and you see what their parents sort of give them and whatnot. And you really think to yourself, wow, like, you know, especially for me, my parents like gave me everything. They devoted their whole life. Basically, once they had us kids, it was just anything and everything that we wanted. They would work so hard and, and just, just do whatever it took to, to give us that sort of um, lifestyle. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. So a lot of people might not, I don't even know, like, I feel like I've spoken about you enough for people to know that we pretty much grew up together. Like, we only lived a couple, you know, like 10 minutes away from each other and the whole time through racing and practicing and whatnot. But I don't think people have too much of a idea of your story of, I guess, the whole background, how you got into racing, the fact that you were, like, I was thinking about it before, pretty much Pete, had like mtf of the you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. they're really it yeah. was like this little uh full motocross academy that yeah. was you it was richie it was jats wade hunter matt hunter me and maddie and who else was todd. oh t todd yeah todd that dude <laughs> <laughs> that guy well, don't even get me started on that guy <laughs> but yeah so then there was todd as well and if you look at that group of riders you've got uh todd waters current australian supercross champion represented australia for motocross the nations moto gp um moto gp what do they call it? mxgp uh podiums yeah. you've got jats two-time supercross champion maybe one of australia's most popular riders you've got wade was a factory rider for circo in yeah. australia you've gone and done what you've done then i was thinking about it as well caleb ward yeah. Also did time in uh, in Europe. Europe. Wilson Todd. Yeah. There was just this crazy pool of talent. And every single weekend that we'd go to a race, whether it was Cairns, Mariba, wherever it was, 
literally the battle for the Australian title in the 65, 85, one, two, it was all happening between you and Wilson every single weekend. And then Jats was just ahead of that, and then he had weight. It was a crazy, crazy time to grow up racing motocross, and we that was like just the normal standard thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I've heard you talk on the podcast before about, um, you know, like why – australia isn't quite as good as europe or america or whatnot and you've said like the tracks and yeah i I agree with you in that but i also i believe when you go to europe everyone just races each other every weekend you know and that's what i believe why we had that little bubble growing up and we'd always race each other every weekend and we're you know there was always like two two of us in each class that like would go head to head yeah so every time you go to the track someone else would be doing something a bit better than you so you could learn off them and then you're always trying to chase them and then especially for me being the younger one when i go practicing with jackson richie and everyone that you named that i was you were the grommet yeah (laughs) and i would see them and i'd just be trying to chase them and keep up with them so i believe you know i progress so much faster because of that little bubble so um it's yeah crazy to look back at it now and think you know like when we were racing there we had we always watched ama supercross on tv and whatnot but did we we always dreamt about being there and thought yeah i'm gonna be them one day but did we really actually believe it you know i just think it's insane like even maddie for what maddie's done like maddie manages jack miller toby price all the v8 supercross uh, v8 supercar dudes it's like everyone from that little crew has ended up doing crazy stuff in this game. And it's funny, like, people, you, that normal attitude of what you said, like, I can't wait to leave Cairns, there's nothing going on here. It's like, man, it seemed to work for us, yeah. like, for whatever reason. And yeah. I don't know, maybe it was just because there wasn't anything else to do in that that big town sense. Like, I didn't go to a music festival till I was in my 20s. Like, there's yeah. all this stuff that I just like we didn't do because we didn't have it but we just like did motocross and learned about you know i guess all that's what pushed me into filming and then you guys obviously took the racing thing but what did do you remember the battles with wilson like because that must be weird to grow up like normally there's like the fast dude in town and then he's better than everybody else but it was like we had the two fastest dudes in town and like you guys just battled like crazy every single weekend for your entire junior career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always remember going to the track and like, it'd just be a club day, but you know, back then it meant so much to us and I'd always get there and I'd be looking at the front gate, making sure his van wouldn't drive in because I'm like, (laughs) man, if he's here, it's going to be a hard day. And I feel like growing up, I was always like second to him a lot of the time. And and so that's what I mean. I was just like, please don't turn up today because I want to win. But at the end of the day, that's what made me better. So, because um, always had someone to chase, and and I'm grateful for it now. But yeah, it's it's um like again, if if I were to think of it there, you know, I never would have thought that we'd now be in Europe together. Yeah, on the other side of the world, racing the best in the world. So. Yeah. Did you think about it much when you maybe not when you're in like 60s and stuff, but as you got a little bit older and then you realize it was pretty much just you two at the nationals that were like fighting for the titles? Obviously, there was other guys in there, but you guys were always at that front pack. Like, 
I don't know, did you even get over it where you're like, man, I'm so sick of racing Wilson? Because yeah. it's definitely like, you can't, I know you guys were cool and stuff as kids, but you're, ne- you're not friends. Like, you can't be friends really when you're like that, racing each other that hard. And especially if he's beating you a lot, like, yeah. it must have been pretty gnarly to grow up with a dude like that. Just everywhere yeah. you went for your whole career. Yeah, we were never really friends as kids. And now we are, it, like, we don't really care anymore. And, and, we look back at it. Oh, I look back at it now and go, oh, we were pretty stupid to, you know, not like each other. I mean, but, you know, at the time he's your rival and you want to beat him. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you get over. Once you get older, you get a bit more mature yeah. and you just push those things aside. But, yeah, for sure, every time I go to the race, I'd be, like, so sick of racing him. Because <laughs> I just knew he... Because he was one of those kids where you'd, he'd crash and then he would start going faster after he'd crash, you know? <laughs> so, like, even if he crashed and you got, like, a 10-second gap on him, you knew he was going to come hard. I remember one day at Mariba, we raced and um, on 85s and I got a whole shot and I was just in front of him and I just heard this 85 not backing off. <laughs> and, and it sounded like he was just coming into the corner, just using the clutch rear brake, <laughs> thing wide open, and he gets like two laps from the end and he pulls over and turns out black blew up because throttle was stuck on, but he didn't want to didn't want to lose the race, so he just used the clutch and rear brake to slow down. And he, he passed me, though, before, <laughs> before the bike blew up, and I was like, dude, that's gnarly. If, Normally, if the throttle gets stuck on, you see someone go off the end of the berm, but that kid <laughs> you just figured it out. still going around the track faster than all of us on a perfect bike. Dude, I remember one day, I always just thought Wilson was just a turd. Like, he was just <laughs> the shittest kid. And I was I was so much older than him. And there was one day we were at Tinaroo, and uh, he, rode, he rode his bike, like, he rode his 65 to... I don't know whose place it was, but anyway, it would have been Alcapete's, and yeah, because he lives like he lives. Like oh, I was right just there down the road. But yeah, he gets on this hit on the. We're all riding the tube, and we're all just like pretty much just paying out on him essentially. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then he's like, we were like uh, bucking each other off the yeah. donut, and he's like, give me a go, give me a go, give me a go. And I, <laughs> we're finally, he was like the last. Everyone had had three goes, and we finally give him a go. And uh, he's like, I'm, as soon as we did it, he the cocky little bastard was like, nobody will get me off this thing. Yeah. And I was like, you're <laughs> dreaming, dude. Like, you are going to get absolutely sent right now. And, man, couldn't get him off this thing. Like, it was like a spider monkey was locked on. <laughs> this thing was flipping through the air, and, like, he, he would have been hurting, eh? And he yeah. just would not give up. Like, he had to win. And after that, I was like, damn, he's a little turd, but, like, you got to respect that, yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. level of like whatever he's doing right now to like stay on that tube. It's not muscle. It's not strength. There's some weird stuff going on <laughs> in his head that's keeping him on there. And I got to respect that. Yeah. But that, that was like anything though. Like whenever, you know, like that bubble we had, whenever we did it, it didn't matter if it was motorbikes, push bikes, scooters or skiing or whatever. It was like, I don't want to be last because I'm going to get picked on. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it was like a big competition, no matter where we went. So Yeah, and it makes so much sense nowadays to see, especially with you because you were like the grommet of the crew and you've probably taken it the furthest, really, like in terms of consistently like going on second year with HRC over there. Like you've done, you've reached like a crazy level. 
And it kind of makes sense that the youngest grommet of that crew, like you probably had it the hardest and people just, you know, were constantly like even overlooking you at times, you know what I mean? And especially like, it's interesting because Jats was like such a star. He just was killing it. Like he had this crazy style, seemed like everything came super easy to him. And like, because he was a little bit older, the first one to go through and it would have been interesting now like that you can look back to even see the kind of impact that had like seeing what your cousin could do and i mean i'm sure you were just thinking like there's no reason i can't do that yeah well always as a kid like i remember mum saying like from watching like tv or whatever like i'd go to school and and everyone be talking about i don't know like humpty dumpty or whatever or yeah. banana in pajamas and i have no idea what they're talking about because by the time I was, you know, could watch that stuff, my brother and sister and Jackson and that were already older and so they weren't into that. So I didn't want to be into that. I wanted to be in with them. So yeah. I was always just, you know, that progressing a little bit earlier kind of thing and I would always see them doing something and I'd just be like, all right, I'm, I need to try and beat them. And because I'd always get picked on when I'd be somewhere yeah. more shit. <laughs> I'd be in tears so, so many times going crying to mum and dad, but... At the end of the day, it made me a better person. But yeah, like, and I remember always thinking as a kid, like, luckily I never got to race Jackson or Richie, like as we were kids or whatever. Otherwise, I reckon there would have been some brawls (laughs) in the pits just at a Cairns club day. (laughs) Yeah, well, I got in a couple of those too. (laughs) They definitely happened there. But what, what was it like having your cousin that was like such a good dude to look up to in that sense and... He was just because Jats man, he like literally won everything. He was yeah. like just that little bit older than you. Like, it must have been pretty cool to know. Like, did it give you a feeling that you just knew you could do it because he did it? Yeah, not so much. Like I remember as a kid, I used to always look up to Jackson and be like, "Wow, you know, like he's riding so good," and I just wish I could be like him one day. And I think what really helped was like whenever we'd go to like a school or something uncle pete would really listen and then Mm. when we'd go and ride together uncle pete was the one coaching us you know and he just would retain everything and just he he wouldn't tell us as much as like he would tell jackson and whatnot and like it wasn't it wasn't like because you know he wanted jackson to do better or anything like that it was just you know jackson's his son and and they probably just more time too exactly and um but whenever because i seen what jackson was doing how good he was doing and i knew that it was come from uncle pete whenever uncle pete told me something i would just okay Mm. i'd do it perfect and and if Jackson wouldn't do something right, you know, Uncle Pete would get a little bit mad. And we've all seen how <laughs> how scary he is when he's mad. So when he would tell me to do something, I'm like, I need to do it perfectly, do it. you know, because I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> uh, I don't think people understand, not even Pete, but like your mum as well was like gnarly on bringing you guys up as like, because people might not know the commitment that it takes to go from cans i mean there's a lot of people that travel a long way from motocross but i guess to the average person that's not really in it and has done it like the level of commitment that went in by like your parents and pete and sue is insane man like big ass vans driving 22 hours every second weekend to do the sunny states just to be competitive so like it was important that 
if that commitment was being made that you guys took it serious and like everyone took it serious eh? like from the top down it was like a pretty well-oiled machine of that whole sort of crew and like the hunters would help out and then all you guys would help out and then we'd be going to races as well and it was like this this pretty cool kind of setup but they took it serious because if you, you couldn't half do the racing that you guys did when you grew up yeah and like i always seen how hard mum and dad would work and you know how under the pump they were to just to get everything ready and then we'd leave thursday after school that night they'd drive all night and all all friday to get down to brisbane to do like the sunny states or something race get in the car saturday night drive home back to cairns get home sunday night and then that only have you know clean everything up unpack the van and go to bed only have a couple of hours of sleep and then go back to work the next day and like at the time you know i seen it but i didn't really understand or appreciate it as much as like what i would now but at the time i was also like they're throwing everything at it there i can see that you know they're struggling to get by just to do this so i was like just whenever i go out on that track just try to have fun but at the end of the day try and not disappoint them but mum and dad were always good you know if i had a bad race or something they would never be the ones to yell at me or whatever but I was always just like, I just want to make them proud, you know. Mm. And and I think, like, like going back to you know, I what I what the when you go to school with other kids or whatever, and you see like their parents don't give you as much, and to think you know, my parents always already give me enough just to go riding a dirt bike. Yeah, let alone all the rest of it. Yeah, once a week or something, let alone mm. driving forty hours every second weekend to race dirt bikes just because maybe one day we'll be able to make a living out of it was yeah pretty crazy did you did you always have it in your head that like i'm gonna be pro i'll make all i'll like i'll make the money back like when did that mode of thinking even kick in because i don't think you can really think about it when you're super young like i think you can have it in your head that you want to be pro and be on tv and all you know what i yeah, mean like yeah there's that side of it based off just what you can see but then i think at a certain point it gets a little bit more real of like all right well if i don't i've got to finish school in a few years like all these other kids are talking about what job they're going to do i don't really want to do any of that like when does that kick in yeah well i think like the first realization that i had where i was like oh okay i'm actually pretty good at bikes was in 2010 when i got picked to go and do the world junior yeah uh, yeah world juniors in france before then you know we were still just doing even though like we'd been to australian titles and got second or whatever i still just thought we're some average joe blow or whatever and once i did that and then you know growing up through juniors you'd you know step up a class and you wouldn't be as good and then take a year to come good and didn't really think about it and then um yeah once i got to like seniors and started riding for bishop wardy's team um i was in grade 11 and 12 going to parties and whatnot not really training you know i just train on the bike and that was like once or twice a week still raced the the nationals and you know was mxd champion with like no champion uh, no training or whatever so why couldn't you train like were you just not taking it that serious or i hated training back then (laughs) (laughs) that's all you'd ever done (laughs) yeah but like i well you just rode a lot like you didn't act you didn't do a lot of off the bike stuff at the the bike training and like I said, we'd ride once or twice a week at that time. And 
I hated going for a run. I hated going for bike rides or whatever. If for me growing up, if it was ever to do exercise, I had it had to be fun at the same time, you know. Yeah. And so you know, Richie was really into like triathlons and whatever, and I'm what like, a weird. <laughs> stuff what that. Are you doing? <laughs> stuff that. So I don't know. I'd rather dig some d- shovels out the back. And, yeah. You know, pushback jumps. Didn't you do jujitsu for a while? Yeah. Well, we was got that it. when you were doing jujitsu around nah, that time? So that was 2013. Yeah. We did it because um, mum and dad got this guy to come out and do like a quote for something, and he's like, "Oh, you know, like I own this." Um, jigsaw mixed martial arts training thing you guys can come if you want to try it out and we went there and then we ended up being pretty good at it and um we did that for a year and then um we got injured like um i think i broke my well richie and i both broke our wrists or something that year and then um six weeks later we came back and there was all these new people there and i was like i don't really like the vibe anymore so i stopped doing it um but still yeah and then when i finished school in 2016 um like uh circo paid me enough where i could just do that full time and um and so that's when i kind of took it seriously and i just started training flat out still not really doing much off the bike just a lot of riding and um and then we went to round one and we had in our head just, you know, take it easy. Like, I was riding with Jackson during the week or whatever because we were teammates then, and he was always better than me, but not by much. But we went to the race, and we were like, okay, just take it easy, you know, first year, try to learn it. And then straight off the back, podium. And, like, I'd get to the end. I'd be, like, trying to pace myself during the race and get to the were end. Were they 30s back then? Yeah. Yep. Well, the first moto was 30, and then second moto was a 20. Yeah, right. But... I remember, like, we were training at Smithfield Track. Yeah. Like, the week before One Thaggy it was. And, you know, it's a 45-second lap time. It was, like, 35 degrees. That track is rough, (laughs) And no wind there. And I couldn't even do 10 minutes around there, man. And we'd... I'd pull in, take helmet off, crank the aircon in the car. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, i got to do a 30 plus one next week. How am I going to do that? And then we go there, and it's, like, 10 degrees. I get to the end of the motor and I'm like, I should have went harder, you know? That's insane. It's amazing how much like cold weather weather changes it. But yeah, it was then where I was like, wow, you know, okay, if I actually do work a little bit hard, you know, like I shouldn't underestimate myself because I was right there. And then we went to Appen and the like two weeks later. Crap, crap and crapping mate <laughs> everyone calls it that but you like I it i love it <laughs> that's awesome there's always one dude eh? there's always one strange character that likes the weirdest track yeah but i think every because every time i go there i seem to do good so yeah that's why i like it but went there and got the whole shot first motor led the whole race and and then second motor again battled with wilson the whole race and he crashed and i end up winning it and then from then on i was like man it's pretty funny because then the next the next weekend we went to Condell and again went one one, and after that weekend I was like, I'm ready for four fifty, man. I want 450, man. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done here. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go. And from then on, literally from that day at Condell, I was like, I want to go four fifty, and that's been it. Why is so, that? Because at that time I was like um, not eating much to try mm. and 
mm. get my weight down. Yeah, because you had a massive growth spurt. Like, you were a small kid. Like, you weren't... Yeah. I, I never would have thought you were going to end up being yeah. a big dude. Neither. Like, Richie was always bigger than me growing up, and, and then now I'm bigger than him, so... Um, but, yeah, it was always, you know, because I think, like, when I was with Bish and Wardy for the MXD, I was, like, 85 kilos or something. You were on a weird diet for a while, eh? Yeah. Like, you were trying to lose a heap of weight. Yeah. Well, it was the first time that I lost weight. So, every time, well, whenever someone tries to lose weight the first time, it's really easy. And then after that, it becomes super hard. And um, I was just given a diet of 1,500 calories per day. Yeah, that's not enough. No matter what exercise I'd do. So we'd go riding flat out and then go for a run and gym or whatever and 1,500 calories and that was it. And so what does what is 1,500 calories look like in food? So basically what it was was like... I'll bring this up a little bit more. ...was 50 grams of oats. That's good. Yeah, you're good now. 50 grams of oats, uh, banana... Um, like 30 grams of protein powder, some almond milk, ice, and you blend that up for breakfast as a smoothie. Um, morning tea was a banana. Lunch was 180 grams of meat with 100 grams of cooked rice or sweet potato. And then afternoon tea was a couple of... This is where I made a mistake is... Um, like four rice cakes with peanut butter. But at the time, I didn't like peanut butter. So I would just have rice cakes plain. And peanut butter is pretty calorie dense. So I, I was going to say, you're missing a bunch I of calories. I was missing there. like 500 calories. So you're on 1,000 calories for <laughs> yeah. the day. And then um, dinner was 100 grams of meat and 50 grams of cooked rice or sweet potato. And that was it. How long did you do that for? I did that for pretty much like 10 weeks in in 2017 and i believe that's why i was like so so fit because my body became so efficient at using energy uh-huh. because my metabolism just dropped and i was just like get to the end of the race and be like nothing but then monday tuesday wednesday after it i was like yeah and i'd normally get sick after every race and then um yeah it started to get towards the end of the season i started just being hungry all the time and i was just like man i'm so hungry but i was like 77 kilos just all bone so because how tall are you like six two or six three six almost six one yeah okay so um and what do you weigh now now well like when i was racing i was like 82 83 yeah um and then when i got injured i would drop down to like 78 or something just lost a heap of muscle and now I haven't weighed myself again, but I'd probably be around that 83, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I've been back in the gym and whatnot. So, plus, um, you know, Australian Tim Tams and... Yeah. <laughs> all that good, good. <laughs> in quarantine. <too>, so. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, after that, I just, yeah, struggled so much. And, and then I was really just like, I just want to go 450 because yeah. I don't have to do that again. And could you feel the difference on a lights bike if you weren't, like 77 kilos and if yes. you put on any weight you just couldn't compete yes definitely it not so much out on the track but off the starts yeah really the starts was the biggest thing and you couldn't overcome that with technique you don't reckon uh, i don't know i didn't didn't really not back then apparently <laughs> yeah i didn't have anyone in my corner to help me anyway to to learn starts or mm. still don't really because i still suck at them every now and then. <laughs> dude hang out with dylan walsh for yeah. like a week dude. and you will be dialed <laughs> his starts have been insane uh, I, know. Hey? 
I don't know how he does it, but he's an animal. Yeah, he is. So you went. You had like how long was that? Like ten weeks where you did that, and then yeah. you come off it. No, so I still followed it, but I was just hungry all the time. So instead of having like one banana for in the shake, I'd put like three in, <laughs> and then I'd put like eighty grams of um, oats or whatever, and I'd still be hungry. And then instead of like um, uh, just one banana for morning tea, I'd have like a banana and apple and some almonds or something, and. Um, and then whenever I'd be, like, on the road driving or whatever, I'd always stop at the servo, fill up and get, like, a chocolate bar or something yeah. because I was just craving sugar so much. And then I kind of, yeah, by Supercross, I was kind of up to, like, back to 82 kilos sort of thing. And I felt I felt better physically during the day, but on the bike it just didn't really do me any favours. So, um, and then, yeah, I was lucky enough that um, Raceline gave me the 450 gig and... Um, that was, uh, um, well, that's what I really needed. I felt like at the time. And, and then that next year, 2018 was amazing. Yeah. So you've, your career has been kind of weird in the way that you've sort of jumped around different, like it hasn't been a traditional, like go do the lights, win, win a couple titles or like win a title, defend a title, then plan this 450 thing. Like you just kind of went straight. As soon as you got an opportunity, you went for the 450. Yeah. For me, it was never, like, about the money, you know, because, like, if I had done um, 250 in, in 2018 again, you know, like, I would have got a lot better money and probably could have got a bit more podiums or whatever, but for me, it just wasn't going to be enjoyable. And I, I would just, to me, you know, like, the best in the world is, is the 450 class, so I just wanted to get there as fast as I can didn't matter what I sacrificed or whatever. And just as soon as I could get there, the far, the better it was for me. And, um, yeah, so, like, I did 450 in 2018 and then got the gig with H, uh, with uh, 114 for 250. And, um, like, it was a two-year deal, but in my mind I was like, um, I'm going, going 450. 450. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had you rode a 450 before you signed that Raceline deal? Like, did, how did you even know? No. So you, no. Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't really remember you ever even riding a 450. No. Never ridden a 450 before, but I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be good at it. Yeah. And, um, and I broke my back and pelvis. In, in the Supercross yeah. crash, yeah. And then I had two months off the bike, and they sent me a bike in the middle of January, and the first day I got on it, I remember thinking, I've made a mistake here. <laughs> really? <laughs> this thing has so much more power than I thought, but, you know, first day back on the bike after two months, and... After riding and it was a it, completely new brand too. Oh yeah, and man, those standard KDMs then were so fast, yeah, out of the box, yeah. And so I, yeah, just straight away was like, I'm in for a long. <laughs> this year. is a long season. <laughs> yeah, but after a month of riding it, I was pretty comfortable on it. How gnarly was that soupy crash, dude? Yeah, that. Still gives me nightmares, that one. Yeah, so, like, talk me through that crash. Yeah, so, basically, like, I was... It was really difficult to pass on that track, and I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a run on him down this straight, and... Because um, everyone was going double, quad, double into the turn. The, the slower line was double, triple, triple into the turn, but I don't know. I just... I didn't see him make that little mistake on the double, and I didn't see it. I thought he was still going for it. And 
I thought um, even if he didn't go for it, if I jump right to the side of the track, I'm you know going to be able to put it up the inside coming into the turn. And then I've just seen him go like this on the takeoff, and I couldn't see him anymore. And I was like, what? I was in the air. I was like, what do I do? Do I throw the bike or do yeah. I hang on to it? And like you can see in the video, like my leg twitch and everything. And then I was just yeah. like, hang on, hang on. And then I thought I was gonna go like that after i hit him but just fell Went backwards backwards the other way and i was on the ground like before i knew it and then i went to get up to get off the track because i knew other people were going to be coming through the lane and i tried to get up and couldn't get up and fell back over so i was just like crawled off the track and i just had so much pain in my lower back mm. and um didn't even didn't even have pain in my pelvis and that, they we got x-rays that night in the hospital and they come in they're like yeah so you got um three transverse process in um off the vertebrae you know yeah that's like the little pointy bit on the ends right yep um and then four places in your pelvis broken and i said in my pelvis because they like came in and pulled down my pants and were like feeling down around there and they're like is it painful i was like no not painful like, yeah, well, you got four breaks there. I said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Give me a look at the x-rays and then... Oh, is that stop? stop? Yeah. Press it again? Is it... Is it, uh, is it... As long as it's still recording on there, we'll be sweet. The On the V-Mix. Yeah, I'll just do it. So it's both red down there? Yeah. Sweet. Sorry, mate. Um, yeah, so they're feeling around and you're... Not yeah. in that much pain at all. Yeah, it wasn't in that much pain. So I was thinking they don't really know what they're talking about kind of thing. And um, and then the next morning they're like, yeah, okay, you can get up and try to start walking. You can go to the toilet. So I got up and as soon as I put weight down, I was like, oh, man, like right in my groin was so painful. Where was so, your, Where was the pain? Um, main, mainly in my lower back and then a lot of the pain but like when you put weight on it where did it hurt like in my groin like like so I did mine in July right yeah. and like the pubic bone yeah like right in between like the top of your shaft and your yeah. belly button yeah like those two bones there it's still cooked yeah like I, st- I can't I can't put like if I'm getting changed yeah. and I put like weight on one leg to like put my undies on and bend over still just well and it was in july wow so yeah. like that that pain it's so deep in there dude it's insane yeah. it just like it just doesn't go away no so i had uh, all, all my breaks were on the left side and i had the top pubic bone broken and then the one at the back and then two spots in the sacrum yeah and um they were all cracked all the way through but not displaced or anything so didn't need surgery and they're like yeah it should be okay to start walking just you know don't do anything stupid and it will heal in three months so i was very lucky with that and i never really had any issues with so did you wait the full three months before you like did anything no so originally at the at the hospital they told me six weeks and it'll be all good and then we went and got, you know, second opinion and they're like, yeah, th- for a pelvis, three months just to be safe. And after two months, they the doctor still didn't say ride, but I was like, I feel good enough to ride. So I started. So it healed up pretty good. Yeah. What about like all your muscles and stuff around there? Never had an issue. Really? No. But in hospital, most of my pain was like in my lower back and then on my legs. 
Yeah. And I thought it was just from, you know, going full gas, 100 mile an hour to just not move my legs at all. Yeah. But turns out, you know, on those transverse processes, that's where all your nerves and muscles for your legs um, are attached or start. And so with that being all aggravated and whatnot, that's where the pain in my legs were coming from. Yeah, so it was like the nerve signals were getting yeah. jammed there, but it was sending pain to your leg. Yeah. 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 I had more pain in my legs than anywhere else. And I was I was in hospital and I was getting mum and dad to like trying to massage them and whatnot. And I was thinking it was just from, you know, the blood, just all the lactic yeah. acid just staying there. And that's why I was trying to get them to move it. And the doctors told me, no, nah, it's because where you broke in your back is yeah. the nerves. Yeah, right. Yeah, my so my right all like I landed on the left side. Yep, so I same. just come straight down, landed on the left side, and then they, they said it like sheared my hips like that. Okay. And then so my right groin is still toast. Yeah. Now and but my right hip on uh, my right quad, I have to foam roll. Like I've never foam rolled my quads ever. And I, I have to foam roll my quad every single time I train do anything it just gets so like tight and painful it's it's been like the gnarliest injury i've ever had but did you need surgery for yours no yeah okay but see i didn't have i missed an mri i should have had so like they did all my stuff on like the lower back and then the guy's like he's like oh i went in and he said that the pubic bones like the he wanted to get that area uh mri'd and then i just couldn't get booked in and then like it was just one thing led to another and then i just never ended up doing it but yeah man it has been a brutal so like anyone that says they hurt their hip i'm just like (laughs) salute to you mate because it is no fun dude yeah well thankfully for me like whenever i've had like a an injury or whatever i tend to heal pretty fast like even my shoulder surgery at the start of the year um they told me six months until i could be back on the bike and after one or two weeks i went and seen the physio and was just you know doing the basic mobility exercises and he's like you already have double the range of motion than anyone normally you couldn't start like weighted exercises in the gym until six weeks i started at three weeks and then i ended up getting back on the bike after four months so um yeah and like whenever i've broken my wrist or whatever or my ankle it's always just been a couple of weeks and i'm back on the bike and ready to go so farm boy strong bro (laughs) and and never had an injury to and like keep giving me problems after yeah right so yeah that's good that's what you want that's like if you're a motocross dude yeah yeah. (laughs) if you're a motocross dude that's like a good thing to have Yep. But so you do that season, then you do the your four fifty season with Raceline, yep. and you're pretty much just in the mix straight away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember actually. What was it? I watched you. At, was it Toowoomba? Yeah, the preseason race. Yeah, and I was just like, your suspension looked like super, super soft yeah. too, like real soft, and you were still ripping. I was like, man, that bike is not that good right now, yeah. and he's still sending it. Yeah, well, because. Before then, you know, I didn't have much time on the bike, so we didn't get much testing in. And then it was like a debate whether we run the cone forks or the air forks, and we were going back and forth. Did you test both? Yeah, I tested both. What did you like in the end? It was difficult because some some things I would like the air forks and then some things I would like the cone forks, but in the end, the cone forks were what we ended up choosing, and they were probably... they were the 
comb forks were like more of an all-round thing you could yeah. get them to a point and you wouldn't have to change them much whereas the air forks were like very track specific so yeah um what did they do good for you that you liked all the little bumps you hardly felt whereas like when you get them really stiff over all the little bumps it would still feel plush whereas the cone it you know it's that fine balance between being stiff enough for the big bumps and big jumps but then when you have that like small chattery stuff out of the turns and whatnot they just become too hard whereas the air forks were really good for that mm. so and then so you do that toowoomba race and then yeah. you, you're killing it there was that the first time like was that your first race that you'd done on yeah. that bike and on a 450 i think we did like the weekend before something at coolum oh yeah um, but yeah we went to there and like I hadn't done much training, so I wasn't that fit. And I remember talking to you at the time, and I was saying, I'm just riding the bike as yeah. much. And you're like, man, you should do some cardio stuff. <laughs> and, you know, go running or something. <laughs> because, like, we, they were, we did those 10-minute back-to-back yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I get to the 10 minutes, and I was done. But, um, yeah, so anyway, did that. And then um, I knew, like, my speed was good on a 450, but I just didn't know if I was going to be able to, you know. Make the motos. Yeah. So, um, and again, training in the heat and cans is, is. It's different. It's, it's deceiving, you know, because we race in winter in Australia. So, you get to the races and you're so much fitter than you realize. So, anyway, we went to the round one, which was. Where was that? Actually, I don't remember. After Toowoomba, I went and did like another sunny state round or something. It was, and and I ended up getting Ross River fever, so I had to have like two weeks off the bike because I felt like I had just had this massive crash. All my joints and everything, yeah, were locked up. And went to round one, and um, everyone didn't didn't even care who I was. They didn't think I'd be anything. And then goes out, and I. I beat everyone in the Super Bowl by like two seconds or something. And everyone's really? like, where'd you cut the track? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, motos off the concrete start or whatever didn't get the best start. But I think I ended up on the podium there. So it was still pretty cool. And then, so that, that year, because I can't, what year was that? 2018. Yeah. So 2018. I don't remember going to many nationals or like not really watching yeah. that many of them but how did that season end up playing out overall and then when did the so you did motocross the nations that year too right yes so do you think that motocross the nations was your thing that put you on like the world stage or were teams already sort of talking to you before then or like how did you make the europe connection to begin with yeah so when i got over there i asked livia that and she said that she's always like kept an eye on on the Australian series and always seen like my name come up and whatnot. And because Dean had raced over there before, so they kind of knew what Dean was like. And then it wasn't until nations. Um, I believe Giacomo was there and, um, they seen me battling with Kenny in that last moto. And from there, he's just like, we're going to get him. So, um, they, yeah, to answer your question, they, was, they already had an eye on me, but it was nations that they were yeah. like, okay, we've seen him on this world stage. He's good enough. Let's get him. Whereas, you know, taking me from Australia, it's like a bit, a bit more of a game. Yeah, yeah. So talk about motocross nations. Like how gnarly was that? So because you were on a 450. Yeah. So you're in with all the big boys. So like what, where was it? What track was it at? Redbud. Oh, so there was Redbud. Yeah. 
No shit. All right, so talk about that whole experience. Yeah, well, that one... Because that place is epic, eh? Yeah. Like, I don't think the track was that good for that weekend, like, with the weather or whatever, but, like, the facility is insane, eh? Yeah. Well, like, the Nations was another reason why I wanted to go to 450, because I missed out in 2017, because there's two spots for a 450, only one for a 250, so I was like... With Hunter already being in Europe, doing as well as he is, unless he's injured, he's going to have the 250 yeah. ride. And there wasn't any... I don't believe there was anyone in Europe on a 450 that year. And um, unless Todd was. Yeah, Todd was. And um, But anyway, so I was like, there's two spots on a 450. You know, there's more more chance of me getting to go to Nations on a 450 than there would be a 250. So, so that was your goal like yeah how long how long has motocross nations been in your head as like a thing you wanted to do ever since i filled in for jed at um at majora in 2016 because like i said i wasn't really training then yeah and i went there never raced a 30 minute moto in my life until i went to nation <laughs> <laughs> lined up next to like hurlings and that and i'm like all right man you know anyway so um once i seen that i was like i just want to yeah um yeah do it so we yeah i did everything i thought i could um to to be competitive there and rocked up there and like we were riding in california a bit beforehand with like basha and that and we were kind of the same sort of speed and then rocked up there and it was just full mud so i was like sweet level playing field who cares what these people who they are or whatever and then Hunter goes out there and he's like doing... Well, Saturday, we were still trying to set up the bike and I didn't do very well on Saturday. Like, they dropped my result in the in the qualifying yeah. race. And so Sunday, I was like, come on, man, I need to redeem myself here because, you know, I had all those keyboard warriors saying, who the hell's Mitch Evans? Oh, because wasn't Chad giving you shit? Yeah, well, Chad was trying yeah, to be on the team. That's right. So, um, and everyone, you know... Chad's the best ever out of Australia. So everyone's like, yeah, put him on the team. And then when they didn't get picked, they're like, who the hell is Mitch Evans? He can't even last a moto in Australia, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I was like, I just got to show these people up, you know. So um, got there. And uh, Sunday came around and ripped a good start in Moto1. But because the track was muddy, we did the sight lap. And when we came back for the... Um, before the start they changed the rear tire and when they put it on they forgot to like put the like tap the rear brake a few times oh. so i've gone into the first turn man and gone to get <laughs> oh. on the brake and i Hot. kept going <laughs> <laughs> so um didn't quite get the best start there but um i think i finished 10th that race and then uh moto two i got the inside gate pick didn't get the best jump off the line but i snuck around the inside and came out like fifth or something and i had like tony and and a few other guys around me and i was just like holy shit (laughs) do you like do you remember that feeling like being there and actually thinking like what am i doing yeah i don't really remember much of the first lap but i remember the second lap um after the pit board area it's got that step down and then before the mulch section yeah that mulch section was so deep and I was like just tiptoeing through there every lap. I was like, just don't crash, just don't crash. And I remember second lap hurling just like jumps over my head just <laughs> on the limiter through there the whole time. And I was like, holy crap, you know. 
And then um, they kind of like broke away from me a bit. And then I could see I started catching Kenny the whole time. And I was trying to get around him. And I started doing the leap too because Mafra Junior Aussies in 2009. Remember that finish line tabletop? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Jackson and Richie, and never forgotten it, but they reckon I never jumped it. But I remember I jumped it twice on the <laughs> 85. So they've called me halfway for the rest of my life because <laughs> I only jumped halfway. So I was like, if I'm going to red butt, I have to jump it at least once. So I jumped it like five times. And then with uh, three laps to go, I came up like pretty short because we walked the track with Berna and because I was riding the Rocky Mountain bike, Berna's like, um, Baggett rides this track, 90% of the track in second gear and he hits the leap in second gear. So I was like, hitting it in third gear every lap and i was only just getting over it so i was like i'll try it in second and see what happens <laughs> halfway up the up ramp things valve bounce <laughs> you're like nah second's not the move <laughs> it's like too late to back out now <laughs> like 50 50 it everything was all good came around the next lap went double singled and jumped to the flat and just rear wheel just all the spokes blew out oh no and I heard this, like, grinding noise, and I was, like, looking down, couldn't see what it was, still had one lap to go, so I started rolling all the jumps, and I was in ninth, and I went back to 14th. Oh. So I finished 14th, and, like, I came in, like, I was pretty bummed, but the team were like, oh, it wouldn't have changed the result. And then the protests or whatever with the Italy got done for the fuel. If I had a stayed in ninth, we would have ended up on the podium. Oh. After that, <laughs> but instead, Great Britain overjumped us, and they got on the podium. That's heavy. So, all from Case in the leap. Yeah, dude, that jump is insane, though, isn't it? Yeah, like it is such a spectacle to like see. I can't. So, my friend uh, Eli, he works at Red Bull now, but he rips on a moto, and uh, yeah. he did a amateur day before the national there one year, and he was hitting it every time. And he's like, dude, it's just the it's like the cool, it's probably the most famous jump in the world on a moto, right? Yeah. yeah. But like to hit that thing, man, I would have just, just been. We got to call, remember, and pay that fee. <laughs> <laughs> you, you what are you doing? They just tried calling me. Oh, okay. You're on the you're on the tolls, mate. You're running the tolls. <laughs> Let me go and do it. Just uh, oh, I'll unclip it. Yeah, sorry about that. That's right. But yeah, that that jump. Is it as fun to hit as it looks? Yeah. Really? But honestly, when you jump it, it doesn't even feel that big because it's like such a step up. Oh, yeah. in that air for that long. But, and it's, it's good because you can still see the landing, whereas like other jumps when you can't see the landing, that's when it feels big and scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Dude, we... Um, I like the Aussie version of that's like the MX farm triple, like nowhere near as big, but like it's that's still like the most fun yeah. jump, you know. Like there's something about like uphill triples that yeah. I just have like the sickest feeling. Yeah. I've never been to MX Farms, so Oh really? Yeah, well it only just came out in twenty nineteen, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, okay. So I was already in Europe. 
Yeah, dude, that track's fun. It always, it looks good, man. Whenever someone posts a video there, it looks like it's got good ruts and everything, so. Yeah, he's got, like, full sprinklers, they all prep yeah. it. Yeah, you'll have to, I don't know, you probably can't do too much riding here while you're here, but fuck, that yeah, place well, is Yeah, I'm planning so on it, so. Yeah, how, how much longer are you here for? Like? Till end of January. Oh, so you got a bit. Yeah, so normally we would go back start of January um, and do testing in Sardinia, but uh, the season's now a month later, so everything's being pushed back a month. That's nice. But I still have to go over a bit earlier to renew my visa and whatnot. So Yeah, yeah, sweet. So you do the motocross nations and then you do well there. So when does the talk start happening for you to go to Europe? So I remember before nations, um, Raceline had like already tried signing me. Um and they, I ended up signing the week before I left. And I remember saying to mum and dad, I said, I don't want to sign just yet. I want to sign after Nations. You know, what if something comes up? Anyway, so I went to Nations and, you know, I thought I did a pretty good result. And I was like, surely, you know, someone's going to contact me. A week goes by, nothing. And then finally, after that week, someone called me. And it was uh, Livia and Giacomo. And they're like, hey, um, you know, are you interested in going back to a 250? And I said, oh, if you, if it's... If that's what the offer is, then. If, yeah. If it means getting me there to Europe, you know, um, let's do it. So, um, yeah, so it was that week. And then we had to go through the whole process of getting out of the contract with Raceline. That had to go through some lawyers and whatnot. Um, Were they cool about it or was it kind of gnarly? Yeah, so you know John Tisdale? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he sort of wasn't... Um, that, stoked. Yeah, that stoked about it. Um, and that's... that's He's the reason why it went through the lawyers and whatnot. But um, Chris Woods was... He's like, man, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be the one to hold you back from that sort of opportunity. So he was really good about it. Sorry, bro. No, you're right. And so, yeah, so we did that. And then, so that was, what, October? And then it probably was finalised, yeah, by the start of November. Had to then get a visa and whatnot. And um, had to wait till this December until that was finalised. And then I was like, as soon as I got my visa, I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah, that's gnarly. Oi, I want to actually, before we go to the Europe stuff, what was that Rocky Mountain bike like compared to your Aussie bike? Is there a big difference in 450s that you could feel? Yeah, it power-wise, it was the same. But the biggest thing was it was just a little bit easier to ride because all you had to use was second and third gear, whereas the, the Aussie bike that I had was second, third, and fourth. So why do you reckon that it was like that? I. Uh, I don't, I don't know what they did to the engine or whatever, but it was just... Um, well, I know they ran a 14 front tooth sprocket and at home I tried asking to run a 14, but um, being on a small team with a small budget, um, if I run the 14, then it's going to wear out the like chain guards a lot faster and me being my own practice bike mechanic, I probably wouldn't change them. <laughs> you yeah, <know? laughs> like, you would have broke so, some cases. It, well, it just would have been more work for me as well. So I was like, let's just stay the 30. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it was really good because it didn't matter what track I rode, Glen Helen, only third gear. So you only had to change up and down once, you know. So when 
you know what it's like when you ride a 450 oh, a four stroke you're already lazy and then you go back and ride a 125 and you're like man i'm yeah, so yeah. busy and yeah. it's the exact same so um but yeah power wise was all the same it was just that little bit easier to ride so when you were in the states and riding like Glen helen like what tracks did you end up riding over there we rode parlor milestone and Glen helen yeah and what was it like to be on those tracks and see, like, who was out there? Like, I know you said Barsha was there. Um, yeah, well, there wasn't that many guys out there because their season had already finished. Yeah. Um, and so it was just Barsha and Plessinger because they were getting ready and a few other star guys. Um, but I don't really remember because the first day we went to Parlour and there was a problem with my suspension, so I didn't actually get on the track until all those guys had left. And by the time I got on the track, the thing was full, fully baked. <laughs> yeah. Sahara Desert. <laughs> <laughs> it been so bad. Yeah. So, you know, you always see it on Facebook or Instagram. It's always Just out nicely. It must be like first thing in That's the morning. That's from 9 till 11.30. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone pieces out. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't get on the track till like 1.30. No, nah, that's o'clock. not the move. And plus it was like, 40 degrees yeah so um yeah it wasn't as as enjoyable as i thought but glen helen was cool but i had already ridden glen helen in 2015 i went over there and spent some time with jackson oh that's right yeah um and jackson let us like ride his bikes and whatnot so um yeah glen helen's a weird sort of dirt hey it's like it looks tackier than what it is yeah and it's got like a bit a different base yeah yeah it it reminds me of like Montover or something because just on a small scale like Montover is like that sandy but then like a real hard base and it's really slippery yeah and it gets that like it gets rough but a weird sort of rough like the track falls away instead of like building up you know? uh, yeah and like instead of you being able to go like harder into it the rougher it gets you've got to like back off yeah. the track almost yeah and instead of like you know playing with the bumps and whatnot you kind of gotta like zigzag the bumps, <laughs> <you know? laughs> just go around them. Yeah. so you did that give you much confidence then just seeing like you said you're about the same speed as basha like were you did you start like when did you even start to think you could be good enough to <laughs> race in europe because like <laughs> that's like you know it's if you're not out there doing it like you can think that you're good enough but yeah. there's a difference between thinking that you're good enough and knowing that you're good enough. Yeah, well, like, Nations was, like, a big eye-opener. But it's funny, like, with Barsha at Glen Helen, bef- um, yeah, before when we rode there, he was playing with me. He must have knew. Like, I didn't have any Aussie gear on or anything, you know, so I don't know how he knew who I was or whatever, but he would, like come into the turn behind me, full rev limiter, put her up the inside and everything. He's, like, screaming at me, come on. Really? Yeah. What were you thinking then? I was like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just trying to test some suspension here. <laughs> He's getting on full lapper mode on Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if he was getting angry with me because I – no, because actually, because I was just testing suspension, he comes up behind me and, like, I could hear him come, so I pulled out of the way. And that's why he got angry at me because I got out of his way. Oh, really? Yeah, because he... He wanted to like put wanted, in a moto with you. Yeah, to race. So he was screaming at me, go, go, go. Really? Yeah. And then so you reckon, like, how was your pace? Like, you could tell that you could stick with him. Yeah, like, Glenn Helen, he was, like, a little bit faster than me, but 
I wasn't that worried because we were still trying to set up the bike and whatnot. But I was like, you know, once I get the bike sorted, he wasn't on a track that was that big. He was only like a second, you know, faster than me per lap. So I was like, once we get the bike dialed, I'll be sweet. So then, um, but yeah, what was your question about... um, like when, oh, well, yeah, when did so. you think that like so all of this starts getting in your head because there was some point you weren't like i remember having because dad was mechanic and for jats when yous yeah. were both on circo so like it was kind of weird because they were trying so hard to be yeah. and like that yeah. had just never been the case and jats was getting smoked by him <laughs> and like but dad was always like fucking mitch he's so cocky now you know like yeah. there was a, yeah. something switched in you where you turned into like a little bit of a dog in a good way, like a dog that the kind of dog that you gotta have to be a good motocross rider. Like this, I see the same sort of stuff with Cooper. Like yeah. Cooper's like little bit of an asshole, little bit of a dog, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like he's going to like he's trying to tell people yeah, yeah. without even saying it. Like I'm yeah. gonna smoke you, bro, and you develop that at some point. So you call me an asshole? Like yeah. <laughs> well, you don't talk to you don't talk to Jed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a rude brick yeah something when did it happen mate it was just such a nice kid for so long no but like i remember with jackson every time we went to the practice track for sure he would always be faster nine times out of ten he was faster than me then we'd get to the race and somehow i'd beat him so i have no idea what was going on there but i remember we'd always walk the track and you know what it's like hanging out with you mob you gotta have thick skin (laughs) (laughs) we'd always be walking the track and and you know we'd throw rocks off to the side get them off the track and and pete would be like don't throw them over there that's mitch's line (laughs) so i was like stuff these guys i'm gonna give shit back to them so but it's always in good fun but i think everyone just took me seriously yeah but you took you definitely made a change to where like you got to the point where it just seemed like you just didn't want anything other than winning. Like you really got to a point where you seem like it becomes such a, and so it should like, this yeah. isn't a bad thing, yeah, yeah. but a lot of people, like I'd argue Jats doesn't really have that a lot of the time. Like he's probably, if you could say what he needs, it's not talent or bike skill or anything yeah. that he's just a super nice dude all the time. Like he finds it yeah. real hard to, to like channel that kind of energy and you need to like it's such a rough gnarly sport that there definitely has to be a part of you where like like same with Carmichael dude like Carmichael's a dog like all those boys (laughs) like they're just they got that like animal in them to where they're just not gonna lose yeah well I think for for me probably the turning point was in 2018 um after round one I I had a concussion on the Thursday I knocked myself out riding at a track and and it took me a while to come back from that and it wasn't until I had another head knock um, in the like mid-season break that after that because uh, you know when sometimes when you have a concussion you like have a hangover for a yeah. while and I kind of struggled through that like was like you know really moody and and whatnot and it wasn't until I had another head knock that it would like knock me back to good (laughs) (laughs) and it was when i was having time off after that one that i found um like tracking macros and stuff yeah and then i just became so obsessed with weighing my food and my fitness power you know tracking everything and if someone like i'd put out you know make some sweet potato chips or whatever in the air fryer and someone just took one from me i'd be like want to punch you know like and I think it was then 
that you know because normally at the end of every season we would you know go on like a one month bender of partying every weekend and it, it was then where i was just like after i started doing that i felt so good like in my training and everything yeah. and i was just like i don't want to i'm in such like a good routine here i don't want to mess it up with anything and then probably from then i was just like i just love training so much and i just became obsessed with it and then i was just like if i'm putting in all this work i don't want to lose anymore yeah and so it was probably then and probably too because like yeah wilson was telling you more than you'd beat him yeah. back in the day and you were the younger one so like maybe it just all added up into this recipe for you to do super well and i remember thinking that when you went to europe so like when Caleb went to Europe, I was like, oh, I don't know that he's ready. And yeah. then, you know, like a, a few of those boys are like, man, I just don't know. Like if you could not handle the racing, not that you're not fast enough, not that you're not fit enough. But for me, like I lived overseas for eight mm. years and I know how hard it is, man. Like you've just got to be, you've got to have that like mongrel yeah. in you to where like you can be so stubborn. Like, man, the part of the reason I didn't come home sooner than I did is because I was just stubborn. I was yeah. like, I'm not leaving. Yeah. I'm just doing it until I'm doing it to the point where it's ridiculous. Yeah. And people are just like, everyone's shaking their head going like, dude, you should just come home. Like you got all your friends home, blah, 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 blah. And you just dig your heels in the ground. And I'm just like, yeah. this is what I'm doing. Even if it doesn't make sense. And I, you've got that same mentality. I reckon like I could sort of see it, you just shifted as you got that little bit older yeah, And I was like, I feel like Mitch is the kind of guy that when he goes over there, doesn't matter how cold it is at Lommel, doesn't matter how rough the tracks get, doesn't matter if he can't like speak the language, none of that stuff's going to worry him. Like he's the kind of kid that just doesn't care and he'll dig his heels in the ground and will just like do it just because it's what he said he's going to do. Yeah, well, I think like, you can kind of only be like that for so long too, mm. you know. And um, when I went over there last year, I struggled a lot. But it wasn't that things like that were bothering me. It was more because I went over there and I was by myself. I'd come home from training. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't really have any, like, internet or whatever. And I was trying to do it on a budget and trying to not spend so much. And which I look back now and I... I obviously change for now that you're a baller just, you know but um but yeah so i would just come home and just sit there you know staring at all four walls and i was like what am i doing here and then you start talking to yourself so much and you just drive yourself insane so and that was last year when you're on the lights bike yeah last year so i really struggled a lot so then when i came home um at the end of last year honestly i didn't want to go back really i was very close to not going back and um mum and dad like just go back you know like it's going to be better this year um you know you'll be on a factory team so everything will be better and you know don't worry about the money this time just you know spend it like be smart about it but you know just spend what you want to spend <laughs> to be comfortable yeah, exactly. And yeah. do if if something costs this much, don't worry about how much it costs. If it makes you happy and you enjoy it, then do it. And I did that, and it was a different story this year. Yeah. So you get over there on that team. It's not a factory team, but you were just like, dude, I'm getting to Europe. I'm making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was a foot in the door. 
Mm. And like we spoke to um, the Lawrences before just to get an idea of what the team was like. And they said, you know, it's not a factory bike, but it's good enough to, if you put in the work, the bike's good enough to, to That's compete. That's cool. That's cool to have that from someone like Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, okay, well, let's take the gamble. You always got Australia to come back to, so why not take the risk, you know? So we bit the bullet and went, and when I got there, everything was perfect, you know? Like, even coming off a 450, I got on the bike, and I was like, wow, you know, the 250, it's actually better than I expected or better than I remember. Yeah. And everything went smoothly, and then, um, yeah, struggled again to... because. I was already like 80 kilos by the time I got over there. And the trainer that they had me with said, you need to keep losing weight. And meanwhile, I had already been losing weight for like six months before that. And I was so depleted and freezing cold because when you don't eat much, you're yeah. And and then I got down to 77 kilos and then my body just flicked the switch and again, just craved sugar so much and just living by myself i'd just go i was literally like 200 meters from the store so <laughs> you're just walking down doing chalky runs <laughs> <Yeah>. constantly <laughs> i'd walk down there buy something walk back sit there still hungry walk back buy something come back so it wasn't the greatest and i had a few injuries but um yeah but i've kind of you know it takes a few years but i've kind of worked it all out now so so what was your best result that first year or like what were some of your best races well, like um like we did the pre-season races and they were really good um like i did la Capelle, um which was the weekend before and i got three three behind olsen and uh, ben watson yeah and but actually at that race i tucked the front in a turn and like hit my knee on the bars because at that race you do it's a big day you do it's like i think three 30-minute practices or something. Or maybe it's like two wow. two practices. Well, one 30-minute practice, one 30-minute like time qualifying. Then you do two 25-minute plus two-lap motos. And then you have the feature race, which is the 450s and 250s oh, combined, which is right. another 25 plus two. And I was a little bit sick coming up to it. And so the team were like, okay, we'll just get through the day, take it easy and practice and qualifying learn the track, do what you need to do to get a good lap time, race the two motos, and then after that we'll see how you're feeling. If you're still a bit sick, we won't do it at all. Or we'll just do the start, do the first couple of laps and pull off. And so we decided to do the first couple of laps and pull off. And I, on like the second lap, tucked the front, hit my knee and put a big hole in my knee and needed a need some stitches to close it up and i thought that's all that was the problem if i had kept riding i would have noticed that you know my leg was getting a lot sore and whatnot and i tried running like the week after and every time i'd run my leg would be really sore and i ended up damaging the tendon that oh like the patella tendon or whatever yeah or it's the tendon that fires your quad muscle yeah and so my quad muscle wasn't firing at all for round one and I got to round one and I went 5-3 for third overall. At the first round? Yeah. That's so, so my sick. first ever GP got on the podium. <laughs> and by the second moto there, I could barely bend my knee enough to get it on the foot peg. 
I was like, I remember going out for the sight lap. I was like, man, this is going to hurt. Like I'd be sitting off the back fender just to <laughs> turn a corner or whatever. But once the gate dropped, I forgot about it and didn't know about it. And But when I got off the bike, like I could hardly get up the stairs to get to the podium. And I remember they had to w- wheel me through the airport on a trolley because I couldn't walk. My, wow. My leg, my quad to my ankle was the one size. It was that swollen. Really? Yeah. And I ended up sitting on the couch for two weeks after it because I couldn't walk. And um, So did you just have to let that tendon heal or did they just, did they go in and fix it or? Well, yeah. So like we went to the hospital because we didn't know anything about it. We just thought maybe I had an infection from the cut. But yeah. Everything came back good, so we didn't really know. And then I sat on the couch for two weeks and then rode once before going to Matterley Basin, rode Matterley Basin, and then the week after that went in Belgium and got some MRIs done, and that's when we found out. But by then it was just like, just ride but don't go running because Mm. the impact is what, and it should come good in a couple of weeks, and it did. Dude, first podium at the first gp what was that feeling like to like call your mum and dad and call everyone and sort yeah. of recap that experience <laughs> well it's funny because i went out for practice and qualify well so we have what practice then time practice then a qualifying race on the saturday and the practice and time practice i was like 16th or something and livia comes back in and goes man what are you doing you don't look like you want to be out there you, oh really yeah you don't look like the guy that we seen that's know. heavy <laughs> like, give me a give me a go mate <laughs> round one yeah that's and i said to just calm down you know like <laughs> i'm not a mate like, i got this <laughs> i'm not one to put in a fast lap just give me a break let's see how the race goes qualifying race bad start come from like 20th back to like six in like a couple of laps and comes in there's the Mitch we know. Where was that all all <laughs> the rest of the day? I was like, I, I'm a racer, not a one-lap guy. Just give me a break. So then, yeah, Sunday came around and um, two good starts. And, like, the second race, yeah, like, almost whole shot um, and was behind Prado and whatnot and just finished third. And at the time, like, I didn't really appreciate it that much, you know, because it yeah. didn't quite sink in. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on the podium. And then... Because I had never really followed GPs, I was always, you know, into American motocross and supercross. I didn't know how the podium ceremony worked. And I don't know for you, but if you ever watch a GP or whatever, do you ever watch the podium? Not really. But they play all the national anthems and stuff, yeah. right? So I was up there and I was like, what do I do? And they're speaking Spanish in Argentina. <laughs> so You're no just idea. No idea. I just wait for them you know you're just waiting for like oh, no, 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 Mitch Evans yeah. and you're like yeah that's me but they're like uh, Michelle Evans or something <laughs> anyways uh, I'd just be like yeah whatever and um, <laughs> and then I'd wait till Prado and then hold up the trophies to know what I do and then <laughs> them take off the hat <laughs> and someone did an interview with me after and they go you know, you didn't look like you were enjoying it that much. Did you even want to be up there? And I said, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I like that my mum and dad for bringing me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I, when I did the interview after, Olivia's, I was like to Olivia, you know, what do I say? Do I have to thank sponsors or whatever? She's like, nah, don't worry about that. We're not like America. Just answer whatever they ask you and, and done. So, 
that was all right. But at the track, I didn't have like a, a phone sim or anything, so I didn't have internet. They have Wi-Fi at the track, but I didn't really want it. So I didn't do it. And then I go back to the Airbnb that night and I get back to the Wi-Fi and I turn my phone on and the thing just starts going bing, 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 bing. And it like glitched out, you know, like really just like this is. And then I couldn't unlock my phone because all these messages came through at once. <laughs> and so was that when you were like, oh, wow, like I actually did something pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, that's heavy. Eh? Like it makes sense, though, because like you don't know anyone. You got no one there. You can't speak the language. Like yeah. you get on this podium and then they just make you stand there. Like that kind of makes sense. You would have had no idea what was going on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, and like I'd never watched anything before. So, and and I was more like worried that I was like, okay, am I going to do something wrong or you know make a fool of myself <laughs> rather than enjoying the moment? Yeah, right. So it was wasn't the best but yeah that's bloody bizarre but it makes sense like you sort of yeah like it's if you've never been in that position before like and you don't know what to expect you can't speak the language like yeah that would have been a trip yeah did you feel like you didn't belong being there at all yeah well like a few people had messaged me beforehand and they're like you know like it's so good that you're there um you know you belong there or does it feel weird to be there or something and i was like no i feel like pretty comfortable but then when i was on the podium i was like i don't i don't know what's going on (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't even be here did you feel like you crashed a party that you weren't supposed to be at (laughs) yeah pretty much oh that's hectic and then so when did that like how did the season sort of go from there because that would have had to given you crazy confidence to go at the first round not be feeling that good because of an injury like you would have had to have crazy confidence from there yeah i did but also that confidence went away pretty fast when you sit on the couch for two weeks Mm. after it and i only rode once before madeley basin and i was like oh oh, well i'll still do good and then crashed first lap and had a problem with my clutch and pulled into the pits and by the time they fixed the clutch i was almost a lap down thankfully that track well Thankfully and not thankfully that that track is so long because I was coming out of the pits and I still wasn't a lap down. They were just behind me and they were giving me the blue flags to pull out of the way. And then a couple of laps later, they stopped giving me the blue flag because I was, <laughs> it looked like I was leading the race. So how, how much further in front, like what was the gap to them you reckon? Like, uh, like from, how far were they behind you? Uh, like the pit straight, if you've ever seen Madeley Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. straight. Like, I remember I came out of the pits and I looked there and I could see um, Olsen coming around the first turn. So like, That would have been kind of sick. sick, to be honest, though, yeah, because so like you were just, just like, oh, I'm winning. I was like, let's go. <laughs> and then, so why I said not, thankfully, is because the track's so long, I did the whole motor and we didn't lap anyone, so... I raced the whole thing in 40th. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't catch up to anyone? No. Because <laughs> the lap time's two and a half minutes long, so we didn't lap anyone. That is torture. <laughs> so, like, you, you didn't win the race, but you didn't get past, even though they were just Yeah, so you. I ended up getting past after a while because I could, I ended up, like, with, like, a couple, six minutes to go or whatever, I started looking up the track, like, where is everyone? <laughs> and I was like, we're not going to catch him, so what am I doing here? So, They're just cooking yourself. So I was just like, I'll just back off, and then i got to do one less lap. That's gnarly, dude, that you could, like, couldn't lap anyone, because that is a huge track, eh? Yeah, yeah. 
And then so where so where did it, like the season sort of go from there? Yeah, so we went to Vulcan's Water after that and had a mechanical in the first race. So again, didn't score any points. I I, I in the qualifying race I crashed in the first turn. I had to get stitches in my elbow. And then so I had like 30th gate pick and there if you don't get a good start, you're like last. So I came all the way back from like last to ninth, pipe broke, had to pull in the pits, no points again. So then second motor finished ninth and then we went to Arco and again I crashed the week in between that and so I wasn't very confident going there and I was kind of just like doubt myself and I think I finished like 24 fourth in the qualifying race and mum and Livia come over to me and they're like you you had already lost that race before you went out there you need to sort out your shit you know yeah and so I changed my attitude for the next day and went six seven or something and then um I was starting to finally feel like physically back to 100% and so we decided to do because then we had a five-week break yeah and so we're like, we should keep racing during it. So I went and did this French championship and I didn't get the best of starts there. And I think it was Moto2. I came around and we're in this like really deep rut and someone crashed in front of me and the bike went up like this and I had no nowhere to go. Couldn't stop in time. Rear wheel hits me here, knocked out, ended up hurting my thumb thumb still gives me trouble to this day dude that this is a gnarly run of first <laughs> motor like you can you yeah. imagine if you didn't podium that first race you would have been like man i'm not good yeah well i mean yeah it was just tough because like i felt like okay i had such a good winter and then i just wasn't getting on top of things and i was just like and at the end of the day what it came down to i just wasn't getting good starts so i was always caught up in because Europe's yeah. like gnarly for first turns. Even Jed this year, man, he was either yeah. killing it or on the ground in the first yeah. turn. Yeah. Is it? Is there something to Webster. that? Same with Webster, man. He couldn't even get past the first turn, the poor guy. What is it with that? the GPs and first turns? Because, I, man, it seems like that's a killer for so many people. It's just like they take every risk in the first turn and they don't care, you know, where it's like... Sometimes I go in there and if there's guys around me, I'm just like, okay, keep it on two wheels. Whereas those guys just come in, they're just like, I don't care if I crash. It's either they just throw gamble because it's like either they take a big risk and they'll come out good or they'll be last. So, And um, Walsh is really good at that. I don't know how many times he's punted me out of the way. In the first <laughs> <turn>. <laughs> he just goes in there deep, eh? Yeah. It works, but... Yeah, exactly. So when did it turn around that first season? Uh, not really. Didn't. So, so just didn't, didn't. <laughs> just didn't get better. I mean, after that, we had that five week break. We worked on a few things to get the the bike a little bit better off the start, and we went to Montova. Two seventy kit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just put a four fifty in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we went to Montova and uh, Saturday was good. Track was really dry, but like got a good start. I finished third in the qualifying race. And then the the two races, it pissed down the night before and was so muddy. First turn, crash, come all the way back to sixth. Second moto, the gate like flinched and mm. like a heap of us got stuck in the gate. And so got going almost last again. 
and I think I finished fifth in that one. So um, that was like sort of like, okay, like, you know, we're getting, we can be back at the front again. And then Portugal came around and Portugal was like, is one of those starts where if you qualify good, you're going to get a good start even if you have a shit reaction or whatever mm. because it's like everyone just lines up one, two, three, four, five. So I qualified fourth. So I was like, okay, sweet. I got a good start here. Bad start, but I think Prado was next to me. So what he did was like he pushed the other two guys there and so I was able to like tuck just around. Just go in behind out. him. Yeah. yeah. And I like come out second and I think I went four, three um, there and end up on the podium again. And then from the, uh, and then after there we went to Saint John um, in France. Um, first time where I qualified second, um, like the highest up. Every other weekend was like outside the top ten, and um, and it, both motors spun off the mesh, so I had to come come from last again. I felt like I would have podium there as well, but I loved that track there. It was really cool. I that was like the only track that i had been to before the gp oh yeah because it was three hours from where i was living yeah so um and then we went to russia and it was okay latvia crashed in the same turn that todd and hunter oh yeah 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 um and then after that germany and once germany happened it was over i qualified almost qualified first prado got me just on the last lap and again, Germany is one of those starts where you just line up and first moto come around like second or something. And then Vial passed me and we came into like one of the turns just before the mechanics there. And there was a heap of water on there and splashed me with water and like got a heap of water between all my tear offs. Had to pull a whole heap and I was dropped back to like fifth or something because I couldn't see where I was going. Finally, was able to see where I was going and I was making a charge back to the front and then I crashed and landed on my lower back and had like a big hematoma. And from then on, the season was a write-off really. So how did the HRC thing then happen? Like obviously you'd done enough, like you'd showed enough promise, but to everyone that seemed like a left to center move. And it was funny, I actually can say that i said mitch should 100 percent do a 450 because it seemed like everyone was being like he's got to go on the 250s he's gonna get smoked yeah. in there then he's gonna have one year in the 450s then he's gonna be done and i was like i feel like mitch can probably do extremely well on a 450 there so how did that come about and when did you think it was gonna be an option and like do you know what they even saw in you because to everybody it seemed very left field yeah so th at first again it was that red bud thing yeah right um, because i battled with kenny in the in the second motor there like all the hrc guys obviously seen that and then it was that first motor at Madeley basin where i almost got lapped <laughs> that, <laughs> that that's so funny dude like imagine that if you're like all right i'm probably not gonna win this race because i'm gonna get a shit start so what i'll do is i'll just wait and then i'll go three <laughs> seconds in front of everyone and just stay there the whole time and i'll just could, you could like almost win you could, like, last place win every moto <laughs> for the <Yeah>. season. <laughs> That'd be pretty sick. Yeah, but, like, that. it's funny because, like, you know, after that weekend I was pretty disappointed. And then I get to Vulcansward the next weekend and Giacomo pulls me to the side and he goes, hey, you know, like, they're really impressed with that first moto. I was like, 
I finished 35th. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like you're riding really good, you know. They can see that if you get a good start, you're going to be able to run with them. So they want you on the 450. And I was like, okay. Really? After that? So it was all the way back then? Yeah. No way. And then, so the season went on and they couldn't find a 250 rider. So by Russia, which was around eight or nine, they're like, maybe we're going to put you on the 250. And I was like, trying to think of all the positive things you know like yeah okay maybe i do need another year i can build up a bit of money blah blah and and then in the end i just went to them i said look i want 450 and they came back to me and said yep we want you on the 450 so when was that about i think by so locket was was which was end of july i think i signed so like, like halfway through the season almost? Yeah, or a little bit after halfway. Yeah. Um, I think there was, yeah, like five or six rounds to go. That's crazy that it was that far back. How did it feel yeah. knowing that you had that deal going? Yeah, well, it, you know, at the time, because I was in such a bad place with not enjoying it and whatnot, I was like, do I even want to sign it? That's crazy. Thing. Yeah, and... When it I, makes sense. Like, I know how hard it is yeah. living away. But y- if you think back now, to think the headspace that you would have been in to, like, want to turn down a deal yeah. with the best team in the, pl- like, on the planet. Yeah. Like, it, it, I get it, but it's crazy to think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I, n- sitting here now, I'm like, thank God I didn't turn that down. But also, like, at the time, I was just like, I thought this is everything that I wanted, you know, like, growing up or whatever and then 2017 2018 i was just like i just want to get to europe and that's what i want and i was like now that i'm here I'm, i don't even know if i want it and so mum and dad were like just you know we we'll try one more year um we, we'll do it and, and so ended up signing and I, like i came home and everything was announced and i'm here you know i go and see all my friends or whatever and people from motocross and they're like man like how sick is it like you're yeah, team HRC, that's so amazing. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, okay. Like, and then I was starting to think, you know, like, okay, well, maybe it is good. And yeah. Anyway, so I went back over there and, um, and my practice bike mechanic, him and I are like best mates now. And I think if I didn't have him, this year wouldn't have been near as, as enjoyable. And yeah, right. I wouldn't be as successful. And, because of him, I've been loving it. Everybody. So, what what's the so you sign with HRC and then he's like assigned as your practice bike yes. mechanic? Did you know him before that? Yeah. So because one one four always parked next to HRC at the track, I would like. And once I started to know that I was going to be HRC because it was going to be I was going to be HRC whether it was going to be four fifty or two fifty. Yeah. And so I started to get to know everyone there, and um and. I I said I like started getting to know him. We started going like running when we we're at, at GPs and whatnot. And he's really into CrossFit, and so um, I started talking to him a lot. And I said to him, you know, like because over there you spend more time with your practice bike mechanic than you do with your race bike mechanic. And he was Bogus's race bike mechanic, and he said he wanted to stay race race bike mechanic, but. I said to him, would you be my practice bike mechanic? He said, yeah, if it, if it means I get to be with you, I would, but I would prefer race bike mechanic. 
So I didn't say, I didn't ask anything because I didn't really want to, you know, make him come to practice bike mechanic yeah. when really he wanted to be race bike mechanic. But um, he rings me after and says, oh, did you talk to Giacomo? Um, I'm now your practice bike mechanic. And I was like, the gods listened to me. Yeah. <laughs> and and thankfully, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, like, because... Like, when you're over there by yourself, you need someone like that. And he's more of a mate to me than, than like, a... Like someone that's working for you yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, thankfully, he's assigned to me. If if I had it my way, um, to the end of my career, I'd keep him as my practice bike mechanic. What nationality is he? Italian. Yeah, okay. It was, has that been something that's hard to get used to, just the like the language barrier? Like, what was the hardest thing that made you not enjoy living over there? Um, it was probably more just that I didn't have the same sort of circle um, to fall back on or like I was just by myself. And yeah. when I'd go home from riding and training, I'd be there by myself couldn't really watch anything no netflix or anything like that so i'd just sit there and stare at all four walls or just go walking down the street and i don't know i'm i'm the type of person who i always have to be around someone i love to be around people Mm. so i really struggled by myself and that was the only thing so i even said you know like when i moved to italy i said to my practice mechanic you know what if we find a two-bedroom apartment and you live with me? He's like, yeah, okay, we can do that. So, But um, he wasn't allowed to leave his thing anyway. But then I found – I met my girlfriend over there and that was a lifesaver too. You know? Yeah, so I was going to say, so you ended up getting a, an Aussie chick over there, yep. which is like crazy good in the sense of just yeah. having like someone that understands your culture and like and understands you more so than just you know someone from yeah. different country different language and she also understands how difficult it is being over there as well away mm. from family so she worked she dances at the Moulin Rouge and um so her um her roommate is a family friend of ours like m- my dad and her dad used to play football together really? I think like my great granddad or something was that's best man at her great granddad's wedding and whatnot something like that so she's always said if you ever come to paris you're welcome to stay so for my 21st birthday i was going to be in italy by myself the team always go home every weekend so i was like okay well i might as well go there and um so i hit him up can i stay and she's like yeah i'm not going to be here i'm going to england to see my boyfriend but um, my roommate said you can stay here no worries so went there and then um it was end up being um jasmine's day off and i said hey i got an extra ticket you want to come to supercross she's like yeah no worries and we just hit it off and it was kind of like we were in the same same sort of situation yeah point of time that we both really weren't enjoying it over there and it was just because we were missing family, missing home, and we didn't sort of have anyone over there to to get away from work. Yeah. And, um, yeah, once we met, we just hit it off, and, and we, yeah, it's been amazing. Dude, that's crazy to meet somebody from the same country that 
is yeah. a similar age and understands because so she's dancers for Moulin Rouge, eh? yes. like essentially she's an athlete as well. Yeah, really. Well, she's always got to stay in shape. She goes to the gym six days a week, and and then plus practicing the dance doing two and all shows that. a yeah. night. Like she's yeah, like we she comes running with me. She goes to the gym. I've gotten her into cycling now because I do cycling. So um, yeah, it's. And having her over there, like someone to train with or just someone to go running with. Yeah. Even if they don't run beside you or whatever, it's just good to know that someone else is suffering while you are. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, man, it makes such a huge difference to yeah to have someone. And so like what's her deal with being able to go to races and stuff like that? Yeah, so with COVID, everything shut down for her. In the 130 years or something that Moana has been going, they never shut down, not even through the world wars. And because of COVID, they had to shut down. So we both came back to Australia. And um, and then when it looked Where's like... Where's she from in Oz? Newcastle. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, like when I was home, I spent most of the time down there with her and got to see there because... It's I'd, sick down there, Yeah, right? I'd spent a little bit of time down there with Raceline, but I was always there just to ride bikes. And because I had shoulder surgery i wasn't riding so got to do a lot of things and it was good i really enjoyed it down there she she thought the whole time that i didn't like it because she's always like oh you don't really like it here you don't really want to be here so i just went went along with it (laughs) yeah but you know what a race is like when they're injured you know yeah really happy so but i just went along with it yeah i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) so funny (laughs) But um, so then it looked like we were going back racing and um, I said, look, like, would you like to come with me? I would really like you to come. Um, and like, it was a tough decision for her because like, you know, we're going over there in the middle of a pandemic and we're going to have to be traveling around. Like, what if she gets sick or whatnot? It's not just an easy fly back to Australia and you're home. You know? And then like, she's already been away from home so much and then she gets a home to act a chance to actually be at yeah, home exactly and then you're just going to go straight back to where you kind of didn't exactly. want to be anyway so um and it, we didn't know whether she was going to be able to be at the race with me too mm. because of all the restrictions but we pushed hard for her to get there so um yeah thankfully she yeah was made the decision to come with me and um yeah we had such a good time together like we were still able to travel the world while everyone else is still in lockdown at home, you know. So, um, and she, like, for someone who didn't know anything about motocross, like, when I first met her and said, let's go to the Paris Supercross, she just thought I was someone there on holidays and it was, like, my hobby or whatever. Yeah, right. And, you know, being from Newcastle, being this glamorous dancer, she's normally the one getting the pictures and... My HRC deal had just been announced the week before. So, <laughs> so I get, you're just straight rock star <laughs> status. Moulin Rouge chick. <laughs> this was your peak weekend, bro. It never got better than this for you. <laughs> uh, but like I get there and people want pictures and interviews and whatnot. And she's like, who's this guy? You know? <laughs> That's like, so good. So for someone who had no idea what it was about, like, she literally lives across the road from race where the Raceline Workshop was in Newcastle. Oh, really? Yeah. So, no way. Um, so she had no idea and she learnt so fast. She That's cool. She did an amazing job and made good friends with Jill Caroli and, and Speller and that. So 
um, she ended up having a really good time and and thankfully she had a good time because, you know. That would have been the worst if your chick was over it and you're just like fully committed to dragging her around the world. Yeah. Oh, that'd be torture. But no, she's the type of girl to like, if she's with me or with family, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, she's happy to be there. So she's a really good chick. That's awesome. So you get on HRC what yep. is the experience like of, like, because at this point, like, that's probably your first legit factory team. Circo's a factory team in Australia, yeah. but they're not running mm. factory stuff. So, like, you then go from, like, race line privateer sort of team, Circo, Aussie factory team, privateer Honda team in Europe, and that's yeah. like, boom, Tim yeah. Geiser's teammate <laughs> riding bikes that aren't out yet. Like, yeah. what's that experience like? Yeah, well... Testing was like a big shock because we get there and they put all the walls up around the tents. No one's allowed in. If anyone, no one's allowed at the track. If anyone's seen with their phone out or whatever, like we were testing at Arco and it was even more strict because of the new bike. Yeah. And Tim was riding the new bike and I'm out there. And I'm just taking a Snapchat of the, the big rock at Arco. <laughs> and they were like, hey, 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 phone away, phone away, nothing. I said, um, you guys aren't even in it. They're like, no, nah, give it here. you got to delete it. And I was like, whoa, okay. That's well, heavy. Yeah. So you can't even tell people that you are testing and especially not where it is because then they might come and watch. Um, and then after, like when you do testing, you got to wait until certain people are there. And they so then you're not like saying it to one person, then saying it to another person. Mm. Everyone's got to be there when you say it. Everything gets written down, and then at the end of the day, you got to fill out a piece of paper with your thoughts and whatnot. So, um, and then yeah, like like I said, with the new bike this year, it was it was even more strict than than before because whenever we'd go to the practice track, you'd have to put the tent up or four walls around. Whenever they would take the bikes through scrutineering covers over it only come off when it needs to come off and then back on and like jasmine's mum jasmine dad no one only i'm allowed at where the bikes go under the tent so that's hectic they take it serious yeah you're just some bogan from cans <laughs> 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 i used to raise a bent bars <laughs> yeah pretty much and they're like yeah we can you know change this by a millimeter change that and i'm like just do a big change and then see how it is but they're like no we just do like fine things and they're like here try this seat try this seat cover try that one and i'm like just whatever give me whatever bro so where what was it like did you end up getting into it like you could see some benefits or to you like it sort of didn't really matter what they put you on or where'd you sort of end up landing when it come to testing like with things because you'd be mad not to at least try and get your head around it yeah and really because like essentially you're getting a crazy degree in bike testing and you know you could take this sort of anywhere now like it's it would be crazy to really like learn and embrace that whole testing process yeah it was it was good because there's always like a couple of eyes on you at the track so like when you do testing it's and they take a lot of filming for you too, so you're able to see and not just feel it kind of thing. But um, for me, like suspension, I really know what I like with the forks, but with the shock, I kind of struggle to set that up because I don't have the greatest feeling there. 
But like other things like the seat cover and whatnot, I don't care. Yeah. Whatever, you know. So, um, but if the seat's too hard, then obviously like they were trying to make me ride this um, like real hard seat because it was a lot lighter. And I was like, give me the couch, bro. (laughs) (laughs) We got 30 plus. (laughs) We got 30 plus twos, mate. Yeah, exactly. Because you hit the acceleration bumps and you start getting monkey butt. Yeah. They started laughing at me because they were like, monkey butt. <laughs> monkey butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I say all these things and they sort of struggle to understand me a bit. But, and that's the thing I find with testing too, is I really have to take my time and, and be careful with how I say things. Yeah. Because their English isn't, it's, they're good, you know, but when you. Well, it's not their first language. Exactly. So. You just really have to take your time because a lot of times, like my engine mechanic, he speaks really good English and um, he's always has to remind me, he goes, hey, bro, like just slow down, slow down, really take your time because every time you come in, say something, make a change, you ride back out there, they all turn to me and go, what? What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So how good is that bike? And how good can they make that bike for you? Yeah, it's like from their old bike, it's a it's a big step. And it's difficult because um, whenever you do testing at the end of the season, that's when they order the parts for the, for the next season. Yeah. So, um, and... If you want to try and make some changes throughout the year, um, they're not that stoked on trying to trying it at races or whatnot. Yeah, so right. It's sort of like what you find at the start of the year. They just refine that for the whole year. Yeah, and so, so what? Is, what's like an example of that? You reckon like, like mainly the engine side of things um, is pretty much like what you have at the start of the year. The only sort of thing that you change is the mapping. Yeah. After that, and which is a good thing because then you know you, you can't go around in circles. Yeah, and you're not you know making a big change, and it could be in the wrong direction, kind of thing. So, yeah. But um, like suspension wise, we're always changing that, and they're always open to making changes. So, but they they sort of struggle to comprehend how stiff I like the suspension. Yeah. Right. And I'm always just like go stiffer. Stiffer, stiffer, stiffer. We go as stiff as we can and then come back a little bit. Yeah, right. Have you always done that? Yeah. Really? Every every suspension guy I've ever worked with is like, are you sure you want to go that stiff? And I'm always like, just because... What do you like about it? It's easier to ride. Yeah, right. Because when the bike's too soft, you, you lose a lot of momentum and whatnot. When you hit jumps, the bike soaks up too much energy. Yeah. You know, so when it's stiffer, it's easier to ride. When you land, you're not expecting the impact because the bike soaks it up more rather than you kind of thing. And, like, obviously there's a fine line. If you run the thing like metal rods, (laughs) it's not going to move, you know. But, um, yeah, I like to – the way I like to set it up is get it stiff and then just bring it back back a little bit. back it off a bit. Because it's always easier at the race to go softer than it is stiffer. Mm. And so are you able to go, are you going softer with clickers pretty easily? Yeah. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's not like at the race you're having to be like, oh, we got to valve this shit different. Yeah, normally 
we very rarely make a valving change like that. It's always mainly just clickers or like ride height, preload and whatnot. Um, but <coughs> like what is different from a standard fork and shock to the factory stuff is like you make like four clicks on the standard stuff yeah. and you barely notice a difference. Yeah. You make one click on the factory stuff and it's a big difference. Yeah, that's like even the cone valves are like that. Yeah, I found the same with that. <laughs> I had I rode Paul Barrett gave me a set of cone valves for Rocky. Yeah. And um in the uh, like the whoops it was just a little bit too soft and then I was like went up to Paul because I was just gonna go three clicks harder before like, right before this moto. Yeah. <laughs> and Rocky was rough as and uh and then I went I was like, I better just ask Paul, like I don't want to touch his forks, so, like I'll go over there. Yeah, He's like yeah. one click dude. Yeah. And then I went out and one click was plenty. And I was like, damn, that's gnarly. Yeah. Um, you, you know how you were saying at Toowoomba when I was riding for race yeah. line, the suspension, like, I made big mistake. We were riding at Harvey Bay and it was like when I first got the cone valves and it was too soft and I was just like, dad, come on. Whenever we make a change, you know, one or two clicks, you don't feel, let's go like eight. <laughs> <laughs> two laps, major arm bump. <laughs> eight clicks on cone valves would be so gnarly. Yeah, they were so stiff. So when you were on the lights bike, did you have like factory, factory stuff then suspension wise? Um, or is there a big difference to what you guys run on HRC? Honestly, I... Don't even know. I don't know. Because like I I know like when I was with um, 114 last year with KYB, that's the what the suspension we were running, you can buy. Yeah, right. And um, I it, don't think you can buy your suspension right now. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> so, like, what, Kamiya Yamaha in that run, you can't buy. So, like, I don't, I don't know, like, what is different about it. I try to ask and they don't tell me. They're, like, better, better you not know than, you know. Like, when we were doing the photo shoot with the new bike, I s went up to them, the Japanese, and I said, is this going to be the 2021 bike? And they say, why do you need to know? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I don't know. I'm just, just, I'm just, just asking. I'm <laughs> just wondering. He's like, you don't have to buy bikes. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, that's the right answer though, really. Yeah. Like, you're not paying for bro. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Why, why do you care? It, it must be cool, but like, does it, does it sink in the fact that you're riding for HRC? Yeah. And like, whenever I meet someone, like, especially that's like into like MotoGP or something, and they're like, oh, you know, like what bike, oh, who do you ride for? I'm like HRC and they're like, HRC, whoa, you know, like, and when you have someone give you that reaction, it's like, wow, well, you know, like, it is like such a big brand and like, they're so successful in a lot of things, you know, so um, it definitely took a while to sink in from the start, but yeah. But maybe that's like part of the reason why you're doing well there is because you're not overawed by it. It doesn't like take you over, whereas I imagine you could put... Man, insert a hundred riders where if you gave them that ride, that's all they would think about is the fact that they're riding for yeah. HRC. Like maybe the actual job that you're being paid to do would kind of get lost on them a little bit because they're like stuck thinking about them, yeah. like what yeah, exactly yeah. they're doing, whereas you just, it just doesn't rattle you. Well, I've always found that like growing up, you know, you look at MX Nationals and like 
watching Todd when he first started going to the MX Nationals and you think like, wow, you know, like that's that's amazing, you know. And, and like I tend to forget about that myself, you know, like how I looked up to Todd and guys like that when I was a little kid is probably how some little kids when I go home to Cairns now kind of look at yeah, me, you know. Yeah. So i got to try and remember that. Um, and But like I when I got to MX Nationals, you know, met the guys at Circo and Yamaha and whatnot. And, and then in the same when you go to Europe, you once you get to know them, then there's nothing special about them. You know, they're human just like you. And like, it really hit me when I met Marquez last year and you go up to him and he's what, eight time world champion. If you're having a conversation with him, you wouldn't even know because he's just a random guy. He has, all the time in the world for anyone that like we were talking to his media guys and whatnot and they're like yeah he'll sit there talking to some, some random don't even know who they are and he'll have to be in a meeting in like two minutes and he's like yeah 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 just it's okay we take the time and you know at the end of the day everyone's only human there's yeah just because they ride for someone or or they're this guy you know there's nothing that special about them like probably sounds bad like i don't know how no it's so true man like it was one of the things where people would always ask me with when i was filming the like being around everyone and then once we started doing like music videos and you're around like famous rappers and all and everyone had asked and it was a similar sort of thing and like i just feel like i never really cared that much and i was more just i would rather get to know the normal person than like the rock star version of people and i mean like maybe that's sort of the similar thing that you've got from your end is that you just you're not that worried about it and it doesn't phase you because maybe that's where people go wrong is that they start to get too invested in like, oh, I'm running for this team or I'm mm. on this bike and, and it lets it just becomes a distraction where it just doesn't seem like it's a distraction for you. Yeah, like, again, I just try to remind myself that, you know, everyone's human and, yeah, like, you know, just because I ride for, ride for HRC, it doesn't make me special. It doesn't make me this god, you know, so why you know why why would i have to act like that or or whatnot Mm. or or think like that so at the end of the day you're employed to do a job too you know you got to remember that it is a job and we're out there to have fun as well so um yeah i know like a lot of people when they especially in australia a lot of riders like they look at motocross and go like i want to live that lifestyle kind of thing whereas i'm like no like this is a job i enjoy doing it results is what get to your rides mm. and whatnot so that's what i try to focus on and not really like i'm not the biggest guy on social media or, or whatnot either i don't know man you're a bit so. of a tiktok guy these days <laughs> <laughs> you're the tiktok star that's my girlfriend so bro she's the one doing bro it, come on what are we doing what are we doing in quarantine for three days you should read a book i do <laughs> what's what's the last book you read um What's it called? I was just reading it on the plane. Uh, Mustn't be a very good book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't look at the title every time I read it. Um, But there was one that that my dad told me about that um, Michael Phelps um, said that he read and that's what turned it, well, you know, how he retired and then got back into it. Yeah. Yeah, What was it called? um, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Yeah, right. Um, That one and 
Yeah, I forget the one that I'm reading at the moment. What's it about? It's it's similar. It's like, um, yeah, just about how uh, if you use your mind or whatever, anything's achievable kind of thing. So. Yeah. Do you read much? Um, not really. I only when I'm like traveling on the plane or whatnot. I more I've been getting into like audio books yeah. now. Um, because I can, s- or I, if I'm, you know, at home doing washing and folding or whatever, yeah. I can put my headphones on and just listen to that. So, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a bunch of good stuff out there for for athletes in particular. I got um, Dean Lucas. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but he's like a. Uh, downhill mountain bike dude he's like on the uci okay. and he's just got like heavy into reading like he's read so he's actually staying at mine at the moment he's yeah. like man i've read so much like insanely good stuff for being an athlete yeah wow yeah i'll get him to like send yeah. you some books that he's had yeah another one that i was um interested in um i just went out fishing um on the weekend and the guy that took us with uh took me with him he's a he was a former orthopedic surgeon yeah and um, he's reading a book at the moment. I forget what it was called, but he was. It talks about how they, how like in the medical industry or how the world works is if you're like an outsider and you try and push the boundaries or whatnot, all the people below you like think you're a weirdo or whatever. Yeah. And how back in the day, like especially with the medical industry kind of thing, if you said something that was like out of everyone's mind or whatever, they would just kill you. Wow. wow (laughs) that sounds like an intense read but he said no like it goes into like a lot of depth and whatnot and you know how you know like there's just always those like one couple like einstein and whatnot yeah just look like they're weirdos kind of thing at the start they do yeah yeah but do you go do you think about like madonna Back, well, I mean, you're probably too too young for Madonna. But yeah. when <laughs> she was in her prime, it was just like, what? Like, you think about Lady Gaga and you think she's out there. Yeah. Man, can you imagine, like, 30 years before that, having a similar chick, but 30 years more conservative than what we were now? Yeah. Like, that was Madonna. Yeah. But that's all people – that's what it takes is, like, those crazy fringe weirdos to make – things normal and it, it yeah. sort of like just pushes everything forward yeah. i think that same stuff happens in writing too yeah like you look at james exactly. james was out there yeah. like he was different he wasn't normal to what everybody else yeah and then he just slowly brings everybody up yeah exactly people start but to like expect it with james there's there's only like, <laughs> there was still only been one of him but you know who reminds me of james is jet lawrence Dude, right? I seen Jet's Instagram story the other day. I don't know where he was riding, but he just like jumps into the turn, seat bounces, triple, and everything he did through the rhythm lane was like effortless but perfect. Insane. And the only guy who it's ever looked like that is James. You know, when James was on, he looked like he wasn't even trying, and that's what Jet looks like. I reckon it's so gnarly with Jet. I just I don't even think people fully understand. That he's a kid. Yeah. Because you, you put a helmet on and you're in gear, you look the same as everyone else. He is a kid. And yeah. he just signed a Red Bull deal yeah. that was not like a team Red Bull deal. Yeah. Red Bull gave him a deal like, you get a helmet, bro. Yeah. That last person that they you think about is like Kenny, yeah. Dunge, James... And he's a kid. But he's a kid. It's crazy. With like all the KDM riders too. Like that's a team deal as well. Exactly. You know? 
Yeah, this is Red Bull deciding you are one of our guys. And he's just, yeah, yeah he's so young and I just don't, yeah, it's it's weird. Everyone talks about how young he is, but I just don't even think people understand exactly what that means to be yeah. that young doing what he's doing. Well, he's, what, 17 or something. Mum was just telling me the other day that, I don't know if it was after one of the Supercross races or after the motocross where he did really well, podiumed or whatnot. The um, Emma sent mum, Jet's mum sent my mum a photo of him sitting in front of the TV watching Frozen or something. <laughs> 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 so crazy, yeah. yeah. like he's literally a kid. Yeah, so. and it's but and that's not that's not like a bad thing. Like, oh, he's just no. a kid. It, he's just so young, and to do what he does is it's just phenomenal, man. Yeah, and like I we just heard a story today um, from Mike Ward that. Um, when they were at Supercross, because Jay was riding too, um, before A2, yeah. he almost won. Yeah. Apparently, they're lined up for the main event and like the 32nd board's about to go up and and apparently Jet gets off the bike and says to his mechanic, here, hold the bike, I just need to go to the toilet. And the mechanic's like, no, no, no. They were on. You don't have time. He's like, no, nah, it's all right, calm down. So he starts walking to the toilet Apparently stops to have a chat with someone on the way, and apparently mechanic's <laughs> like, "Jet, hurry up, get back here!" And he goes to the toilet, starts. Being, apparently, he's in the toilet. Jay's already got his goggles on, and he comes back, and and the mechanic's like, "Get on the bike, get on the bike." He's like, "Just calm down, we got plenty <laughs> of time." <laughs> he is such a gangster. Like at uh, at Ozex last year in Melbourne. It was, I think, the heat race. Do you remember the track there? Were you there? Or were you overseas? No, I was overseas. Do you remember the track? Like, you had the whoops. Yeah. And then they did that triple, triple on. Triple on. Yeah. So, Jet comes, is, I'm pretty sure it was the first heat race, and he seat bounces it, yeah. and then his hand rips off the bars, this hand, and then he didn't even, like, look like he did it on purpose, yeah. comes back, gets off the track, and I was standing right there with Dad, and he rode up to me and Dad, he's like, did you see that shit? <laughs> and we were like, yeah, dude. And he was like, that was super sketchy, eh? And we were just like, bro, you are on some weird shit right now. Like, if you think that's yeah. normal, it just didn't even skip a beat. And he was just like, he thought it was funny. Yeah, but he hasn't changed from a kid. We went to the World Juniors in 2014 in Belgium. And um, he won the 65 world title. And it's pouring rain. We're all packing up the truck and packing up the bikes. And he doesn't care. He's out, made some friends with people, little kids who don't even speak English. And he's sliding down the hill <laughs> in, in, in the mud. And he's world champion, doesn't even care, like, where his trophy is or whatever, you know. So Yeah, he's always been such a little gangster like that. Yeah. It, it's so cool that him and Hunter get a chance to do the series – as like brothers yeah. same team like they're on the same team this year but there were so many of those dudes i'm yeah. pretty sure they're going to be like out of their own truck and stuff yeah yeah uh, it'd be cool to i wonder how because i think people forget how, just how good hunter is too mm. yeah well hunter's been unfortunate with some injuries but yeah like i jet's podcast with you like about him being too perfect sometimes mm. but man you watch his technique and everything everything is perfect you know so he's just got a 
yeah, get a bit of a role happening and and stay injury free for a while, and he'll be back at the front. What um what's it been like getting to ride with Tim? Do you get to ride a lot together, or do you get that you guys like get to hang? Or yeah, Tim and I are like good friends. Um, I would say, and like he sort of does his own thing in Slovenia and Croatia, but like whenever he comes for testing, we ride together and whatnot, and like. During the preseason, when we were in Sardinia, we were riding together a fair bit. But um, yeah, we sort of haven't really ridden that much. But like he was saying, um, that like next year I should go to Croatia and whatnot. That'd be and cool. So yeah, probably take him up on that offer and do that. So. <laughs> Makes sense. <Yeah. laughs> but what's it like getting to be around a dude that is like he's the guy? Yeah, but like again, you know. He's human and he is the nicest guy you'll meet. Like, really? He will not hurt a fly. He has the time in the world for anyone. He's the type of guy who's like, he doesn't want to say no because he doesn't want to offend someone or, or yeah. something. You know, he's always trying to be the good guy. And like, to have someone like that around is, you know, like, he's only like two years older than me or whatever, but he's been in the scene a lot longer. But he's like a role model, you know. Yeah. Like even I look up to him and go, you know, that's how you need to act around here and whatnot. And I probably like have learnt more off him just about being a person and mm. how to interact with like fans and the media than I have on the bike. Yeah, because that's the thing too. Like, I mean, even for me thinking about my job as talking to you know you guys as riders, there's the element too where you're just a young dude. And I feel like I'm 32 now. I probably didn't really start figuring it out until I was 28, 29. There's just, like, I was thinking about, I forget what it was that made me think about it, but I was thinking about somewhere I was just living in America and just, just like, carrying on. And, like, if I acted the way that I did now, back then, people would be like, what are you doing, man? (laughs) You know, like, but I wasn't, like, I was a shit person. I just... I didn't know and it just takes so long of doing life to actually start figuring it out and there's so much of it is like you look at guys like oh what are you doing for training and what are you doing with the bike and testing but it's like there's a lot of just general figuring life out as still a young dude that has to go down and and you're doing it while you're dealing with all this self-doubt of being a racer and there's all these abnormal things that are going on in your world while you're just trying to figure out how to be a normal person (laughs) yeah yeah i like to tend to think of myself as like a a pretty fast learner but that there's always there's always going to be a time no matter who you are that you have to learn it the hard and long way (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true no matter how many times someone tells you you're gonna do it your way how you think and until you and every year like especially with being in europe i'm like man i just wish i knew that like the year before you know like what kind of stuff just well like you know with not being so stingy on you know just go and buy Wi-Fi, you know, so then you can when you, <laughs> you know, relax and watch Netflix or go down to the shop and, and eat out or something, you know. Like, but is there a party that thinks that it should be hard? So, like, because, I mean, I reckon I had a bit of that when I was in America where I'd do things the hard way almost 
because I thought that it should be hard if I'm like, if I'm going to make it, I sh- yeah. it should be hard. I should be like grinding yeah. it out. But then it's like, yeah, but it's all like life's hard enough. Like make it as easy as you can. Yeah. No matter how yeah. easy you make life, it's still hard. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, the biggest struggle that I like that I'm sort of even dealing with now is like missing a day of training. Mm. I struggle to get that in my head like it's okay calm down it's not going to be the end of the world like and that was what I really struggled with the f- um the first year when I was over there because you have to travel so much to to all the rounds I'm like man I really should be at home training you know like why do we have to fly so long and why do we have this stopover and that stopover and they're like calm down not everyone else is doing the same mm. so what do you worry about but that's sort of what I'm struggling with now. Even like when I was out on the boat fishing, I spent 48 hours out on the boat and I was like, I feel like I should be at home training, you know? Like, and But then when I'm at home training, I'm like, man, I just want the opportunity to yeah, go yeah, out yeah. fishing. Yeah. So. That's one of the things that I've been learning a lot lately is that you're happy when you're not trying to change whatever the experience is that you're going through. Yeah. So if you've got a... Like I do it all the time with with just like working in general. Where I'm like, fuck, oh, I want to go do this. Oh, I feel like, oh, I wish I could knock off early and go here. And all those thoughts, it's just so yeah. unproductive. It's just such a waste of time. And those thoughts are the things that make you unhappy. It's yeah. like trying to change the experience that you're currently having. Yeah. So now whenever I even get a hint of dissatisfaction, uh, even down to changing uh, a song, you know, like you ever have the feeling where, you listen to a playlist, you made the playlist, you like all these songs, but for some reason you just feel the urge to change the song. And it's like, what is that? And I feel like we do that in life constantly. You're like a little bit too hot, a little bit too cold. I'm kind of tired. I'm kind of this. This needs salt. But it was always this thing that we're doing where we're like always just, even though we kind of like the song, we're just ready to press next. And I'm trying to just like, stop that whatever's <laughs> go, like whatever's going on where i yeah. think you know obviously it's like if i got a broken leg probably should try and change that situation and yeah. fix a broken leg but for the <laughs> most part stop trying to change the little experiences that you have to go through because yeah. i just feel like the constant process of deciding whether it's whether whatever you're doing right now is currently good enough probably just takes so much energy away from yeah. the big picture which is you know obviously more important yeah yeah and i think like also a big thing that i've really learned is like i used to get worked up over like man if i can't take the groceries in in one go you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's silly things like that but it's like why get worked up if you can't do that like okay you're saving yourself one trip but then you're going to sit on the couch for 10 minutes and go i'm bored i can't find something you know that 10 minutes you five minutes you could have spent walking back to the car and getting the groceries again you know so like i try to especially over there i always try to find like try to keep busy or something and Mm. even if it's like doing two trips for something i'm like oh i do it you know because then it's like well then i'm not really going to have time to be bored am i yeah man there's uh the other thing I've really noticed lately as well, and COVID's been good for this kind of stuff because it's kind of forced like all a lot of the distractions where I would just go somewhere. <laughs> like yeah. I'm gonna go to New Zealand this week. <laughs> like I can, so yeah. let's just go. And then that that had a way of 
I'd go these places because then when I was home, I had to pack so much stuff in because I'm like, man, I only got like three weeks at home before my yeah. next trip. So I was never bored. I yeah. never had any downtime. Whereas this COVID thing happened. I haven't been anywhere. So it's given me all this time. And I started noticing that. So I got my setup at home with my shed is yeah. I've got this like big old school door. It's got no buzz or nothing. I've got two deadbolts that I've got to unlock every time yeah. that I want to go in and out of my shed. Yeah. It's a piss off. <laughs> but, and so I'd be like, I got a lot of bikes in that <laughs> shed, a studio, all this stuff. And then I'd be so lazy. I'd think, it, I used to think like, man, it's going to take me like 45 minutes. Like you build it up in yeah. your head that these two locks are going to yeah. take you so long to do. So I'd just be like, I'll just do one of the locks up and then I'll I'll <laughs> later on and then I'd lay in bed and I'd be like, oh, I didn't lock the thing. And then you've got to walk down yeah. all because you built this thing up in your head. Of, yeah. It's just procrastination. Yeah. And it's like, exactly. You go sit on the couch, you watch TV, you end up doing nothing with that time. Yeah. So I started just looking at everything like, how could I do even just the dumbest shit like really good yeah like making yeah. sure i got the locks done washing up right after i cooked dinner like yeah. just all those things that you just end up putting off it, they're just these weird things that you build up in your head eh? like yeah. they actually have no like you said with doing two trips to the grocery it's like what does it matter like it's yeah. actually it's it we're lucky that we even have a grocery store that we can <laughs> yeah. go to like so many people can't even do that exactly and i seen this quote the other day it was something like it, most of the time what's hurting you is your imagination or something and it mm. was like exactly like you said because you just create these big things like oh it's gonna take so long and then you actually do it and it doesn't even take that long it's your imagination and another one was like something like uh the future and past don't exist anymore or don't even exist it's only your imagination and that's what's hurting you it was something like that yeah. and it's exactly what you said <laughs> yeah so. well and i'm the worst for it man and i think about all the like with um and i think about it a lot with jiu-jitsu now too because i never really enjoyed training that much yeah. when i was on moto like motocross i just wanted to ride but then riding wasn't that fun because i'd get tired but then i didn't really want to train because i just wanted yeah. to ride so you just get stuck in like it's just a terrible pattern and yeah. you're not actually getting better but then in jiu-jitsu i just learned to really enjoy the process of training because i know then that's gonna be a lot better when i roll and yeah. now i don't have to train for motocross because i got so fit from doing jiu-jitsu and it really changed my outlook on the like actually what happens when you do the work and i don't know that yeah. that many people ever really get to fully experience the benefits of like hard work maybe i think it becomes addictive too when mm. you do see that progress because your brain always wants like short short mm. enjoyment or whatever and that's what becomes addictive but when you do something for long enough and you start to see the improvement then it becomes addictive and once you get in that you i don't know for me, I'm the type of person, once I do get in that, it's hard to get me out of it and I become so obsessed with it and then it starts becoming unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, then you've got to like try and go back to the Yeah, the because middle. then you just devote all your time to that and then you become so unhappy at that because that's all you're doing and you're not mm. having a balance. Yeah. So what when you're like enjoying training, do you know what you're thinking about or do you know like or are you just you're actually just doing it and you're not really thinking about much at all? Yeah, like, especially, like, when I'm cycling or running or doing gym or something and I'm enjoying it, 
time goes so fast and same for writing too like you don't really have to think about it it just comes naturally kind of thing and and it's like becomes fun because then it doesn't even because it's so easy yeah and because you don't feel like you're you're trying hard or whatever so i think yeah it's it's hard to get into that mode though but when you're there it's like wow this is this is why I do it, you know? Mm. Yeah. And if you can, so I was talking to Dean about this, uh, the mountain bike dude. So yeah. he's like really tried to figure out, um, cause with downhill mountain biking, it's so different because like you pretty much can't make a mistake. Yeah. So you got three minutes on the hill and you have one run and they're just on the edge the whole time. Yeah. So, and he knows, like he was saying, there's days where he knows that he he's like, Oh, I can win today. And then he gets up other days. He's like, oh, I know today's not one of those days. And he's like, I can just get in this zone. And he's like, the more and more you get in that zone, the more you know you can get in that zone. Yeah. And then he's um, he actually started doing his own podcast. Yeah. And he's like, it's crazy, man, because I have, he asked me if I get into this thing where the conversation's so easy and the time goes by so fast. And and I was like, yeah, that's, that's like one of the things that um, – I love about doing it is that it it does get like that for me and I'd like you take yourself out of it and you just narrow in your focus and then it does become so enjoyable I know I can get into that state but it's funny that he's like I thought that state only existed in writing and he's like that's yeah. why I love writing so much yeah. but now he's finding out that he can get into that same zone or flow state um in in yeah, anything that's that he's what doing. they call it eh? the yeah there, that's right. a cool book that you should read it's called becoming superman okay and it's about a guy that researched uh he spent years researching like flow states and the science behind them and what's actually happening in your brain and all the different yeah. stuff it's a pretty cool book yeah all right. but like he's like he's saying like i thought it was just writing just mm. downhill that got me in that zone but now it's it's everything and he's like trying yeah. to search for it all through his life yeah yeah. Do you feel like that with training? Yeah. And like I've been struggling lately because hotel quarantine, you know, sleeping yeah. indoors yep. and whatnot. You know, like I'm kind of a bit over it at the moment. But like, yeah, I remember it, like pretty much the whole time when I was in Europe during COVID, like the four months, like the first couple of like rounds i didn't really enjoy it that much because i knew i wasn't prepared that well and i didn't feel that good on the bike but after i started getting a bit of a roll on like that whole like okay there was a couple of days every now and again in between there but like from after latvia until i broke my wrist like every day i loved training and like i woke up and i was just like let's go let's do this and and I get to the end of the training and I'd be like, is that all? You know, like I would message my trainer. I said, can we do a bit more? Because like, I just love it that much. And, That's sick. And, some, and sometimes like, so when Jasmine would go for a run over there, normally I'd like ride the bike next to her. But I was like, stuff this. I'm just go run next to her just because I was enjoying it that much. Yeah, that's so cool that you can get into that zone. Do you reckon many, like, do you reckon most dudes on the GP circuit have would have that same feeling that you talk to? Or yeah, I mean, a lot of them are just like gnarly dudes, though. Too, you know, like they just have that mindset, and um, like they, 
I forget who was telling me, but one apparently they just loved to suffer and like yeah. it was just like they would go for cycles out in zero degrees and whatnot and I'm just like, How can you put your body through that? But it's crazy there's just average guys that love that though. Mm. Like the guy that owns Nobby, Rob Rand. Yeah. Do you know Rob? Nah, but I know no, I mean, yeah. yeah. He goes and just does these fifty mile trail runs. Con- yeah. like constantly yeah and he loves it or 50k and then even todd the other day todd was like he was sick i'm like no you're sick <laughs> like, you're cool <laughs> well that's like um the jackson's mate professor the professor oh james dude yeah, james. he is a psycho yeah. like a proper psycho yeah. dude. but even you know what even jats is gnarly like yeah that was one of the things that would piss me off a little bit when jats was like re- rehabbing from injuries and people just saying like, oh, he's carrying on. Like he's definitely drinking now and partying now, right? So no one can say that. But <laughs> when people were giving him shit when he was in season, he yeah. was he was working his ass yeah. off. Like he is actually one of those kind of psycho dudes that can suffer too. He'll yeah. whinge about it the whole time he's doing it, but like he can suffer hard. Yeah, he he probably works harder than most guys that I know and – still goes and parties and then still does good (laughs) so if it works for him i mean go for it but yeah i think like especially like when he was winning the supercross titles like he was working hard then yeah but he's just got i guess a cool gift of like he can come across like he doesn't care even though he does but that's probably hurt him in the end i reckon yeah i don't know like you always look at his instagram he Always looks like he's having a good time. It doesn't matter what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He's going for a three-hour cycle out in 40 degrees. Heat. He's like, yeah, what a good day. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a unique cat. But that, yeah, it, it seemed like that attitude of, like, it's kind of weird um, that people want to rip on that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, even, uh, it's funny, there's, like, some YouTube comments where, like, this dude's podcast is just him, like, telling writers how cool they are. I'm like, oh, sorry. When did positivity become a shit thing to try and spread into the world? But that was like, people would sort of have that same thing with Jats. They'd just be like, you having fun? You having fun? Really? Fun. Fun while you... No, no, sorry, bro. That's not on. It's just like, when did that become a thing? Yeah, but like, it doesn't matter how good you do things. If you do one bad thing, everyone's always going to pick on you for that one thing. They don't care what you did before. Mm. So that's just the way. I think that's what old mate was talking about is in that book is how it works, you know? Yeah, no matter what, like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. So who cares what people think? Just do what you want to do. Yeah. If you're having a good time, then so be it. So why why don't you talk to Jed? (laughs) Maybe because I'm pretty antisocial <laughs> no nah, why, why don't you like him what do you do <laughs> what do you say what do you do nah nothing we're, we're good like <laughs> he bashed us pretty hard but I <laughs> he did eh? I loved it I was watching it with my girlfriend Jasmine and she well, you, like, would, you would not have been expecting she, that at no, all she's like is he talking about you I was like I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and seen him at the track. He's like, yeah, we've hardly spoken all year. I was like, oh, sorry, mate. You're right, though. That's probably, it was, I reckon it was cool, like, because the way that he said it was, like, he definitely was putting yous all on blast. 
Yeah. But I reckon it was kind of cool for him to actually do that because most I reckon most people wouldn't do that and they'd just be like get all bummed out on it. But like he obviously knew there was no problem there and yeah. it was just how it was sort of working out. Yeah, but that's Jed too. He's just going to say it how it is. And that's why I like people like Jed too because I'm kind of the same. I'll just tell you how it is. I don't really care if you think I'm rude or whatever or like me or not from it, but... That's Jed, so he's not even afraid to tell it to your face. He's just going to tell the whole world. <laughs> was, oh, I just thought it was so good. But did yeah. you start talking more after it? Yeah, well, after that, I think, yeah, I got injured anyway. So, mm. like, I went to Arca and watched and, yeah, I talked to him a bit more. But, yeah, like, before that, I mean... it was, It's hard it was, over there. It was difficult with COVID, too. I mean, like... He was staying at the track too, and like I wasn't really staying at the track, so I'd always get there and have stuff to do with HRS. Not making excuses, but I'm just saying like I'm not really the type of person anyway to to go out of my way to talk some to someone, and I'm not that great at like keeping a conversation going or or the one to start a conversation. Like if someone comes and talks to me, I'm happy to have a chat, yeah. but I'm not really the type of person to go out of my way, so. Because you were always around Jats and he did all the talking for everyone. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, so, like, if if we ever seen, like, each other in the pits, we'd stop, say good day and whatnot and then carry on. But I wouldn't go and, like, find his pit or whatnot. Yeah. So, um, but, like, Jasmine and Holly started to get to know each other and they started talking a bit too, so. It's cool, like, I think that it's definitely... There's people, like, I'll just... for my advice for whatever it's worth it when it does end you'll probably find that you'll seek people out that went through the same experiences as you yeah when you're back when it's all said and done like there's a bunch of people that i didn't really talk to that much in america that once i left america i started like me and will hun uh, we talk all the time now i never really we hung out a few times over there but now he's like a guy that i love talking to i always enjoy because he like i can't just talk to anybody in australia Mm. about this place this restaurant this this reminded me of this so i i have to talk to those people and i wish that there's a lot more people where i wish that while i was there i tried to take in more of the experience Mm. you get so tunnel visioned on like because you're there to do a job like you know that but yeah when it's all said and done if you haven't invested in energy into certain things, like you just won't have the people to relate to, I guess. Yeah. And like, it, it is a weird thing when you do something because like, there's not that many people that can relate to what you do. Like yeah. there's only a couple of guys and yeah. you know, you're in this zone where there's, you know, like Jed, he's probably going to be over there for a while. You're probably going to be over there for a while. Mm. And it's like, you'll always be able to like when you both are living back in Australia and old like yeah. you'll you'll be out yeah. of time back remember when we did this yeah. remember we did that yeah. so yeah it's de- that's definitely something that I there was there's people I wish I put more time in yeah. to because at some point it's just over yeah and like my girlfriend said that she well, that what she enjoyed about it was like she's met all these friends that she's probably going to keep mm. talking to for you know years to come and whatnot like her and Jill Crowley pretty much almost talk every day, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, like, if she hadn't have come and done that, like, she never would have met them. But, like, also, too, like, 
again, you look at those people and you go, oh, you know, like you think they're this, you know, big superstar. But at the end of the day, they're people just like you and I and they'll have a conversation with you. And it's like, like I tend to get a little bit of anxiety when I go up and talk to someone new. But again, you just remind yourself that they're just... Mm. people just like you and I and they they probably want a conversation or whatever, you know, because they're just... And they might be feeling as anxious as you are. Exactly. And so like talking like, to someone might actually chill that out. Yeah. So. And I think too with, um, you know, you talk about like Jill and Antonio, there's so many people that will treat them different because of who they are and what yes. they do. So when you're yeah. just normal and cool, it's such like a, oh, come over yeah. here like let's hang out because you're treating me normal yeah. and that's one of those things where you know when you're especially when you're a rider or you're in that sort of um in that lane a lot of people are looking to treat you different um yeah. either because they're fans or they want yeah. you know want something out of you they and that gets kind of hard to deal with too yeah well like you were saying before with the fans uh, like the celebrities or whatever like they're just everyday people but they would have a lot of people coming up to them and being treating like, them different oh my god you're god or whatever and like i like okay i'm not a big celebrity like that or whatever come on mate you meet <laughs> no. Evans. but like i have like i've had like that experience before and it's like you don't really know how to respond to them because you don't want to be like yeah i'm this guy you yeah know? like you it don't, puts you in like a lose-lose situation yeah eh? you're like like you know, just talk to me like I'm a normal person because, you know, we can then just have a normal conversation and you feel much better about the situation rather than feeling like you're God or whatever, you know, so. Yeah, it puts you in a weird situation because you, if you agree with the way that they're treating you and you drink the Kool-Aid, then you risk them being like, oh, yeah, he was kind of a dick. And then then you get stuck if you do the opposite to that then you like downplay yourself yeah and then that comes across as weird to them so like it does put you in a weird position and i've even found it hard to like accept compliments in a way when people like oh the show's doing this and the show and you're like oh thanks like what you know what i mean like what do you say to that so and that again i think it's just so important when you find those people that are going through similar things to you like got to invest in those yeah you know relationships because it does get harder and harder the i guess like the longer that stuff goes on yeah yeah and that's what i was saying about like tim you know like he's really good at dealing with those type mm, of situations yeah. and that's what i've sort of like witnessed so that's what's good to learn about it but yeah like like you said you you're always going to have people like that you know so you just got to prepare yourself for every situation anyway and i think like the best sort of way to accept it is like just like be appreciative of yeah. them and say yeah thanks and but then try to turn it back onto yeah. them you know like try and talk about them and then it takes the pressure off you a little bit <laughs> yeah definitely so what's your goals have, have you got a two year deal with honda now or one year deal yeah. so you got a two year deal so what's the goals for you like what are you thinking you're capable of for 21 yeah, so the the main goal, like the big picture we have is is to be in the title hunt in 2022. Um, and next year is to, because like COVID, you know, changed it a little bit and I had injuries this year. Next year is again to try and learn a little bit and practice being more consistent every weekend. And then once we sort of have that dialed, then 
for 2022 is go for the championship. Yeah. And so what do you like what are the steps you can see yourself having to make to get more consistent? Um pretty much just start really. Mm. It's more working out like I I have a few things I need to work on in the sand. Um it's more so just getting the the sprint speed for the time practice so then I have better gate pick. Yeah. Um, because I tend to find my speed in the sand for the race is all good, but those guys can just seem to go so much faster in the sand for one lap. So I really need to work on that. But What do you reckon that is? Bigger balls, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do they, do they, so they just send it, eh? Yeah. Like yeah. proper. Especially like when Vulcanswood was really deep this year, you know, like straight line ruts and... Oh, yeah. You know, like... I don't know whether it's balance or that's you know I still need to go back and kind of watch their sprint like the the problem is like at Volkenswood they didn't they don't video the time qualifying so I can't really see what they do differently mm. um so yeah but honestly it's that's the biggest letdown at the moment and which isn't too bad because like I'd prefer to have the problem of needing to be faster for one lap than the whole race. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, just got to work that out. And then for, yeah, the consistent th- thing is just the starts. Like yeah. You look at someone like Prado, always top three off the start. He weighs like four kilos. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's got to help on that bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but also his technique is perfect off the start too. You know? Yeah. If you watch it, he does something different to to everyone else, and I've been trying to do that, and we'll, so we'll see if it works. But I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like the the technical side of riding, like your styles changed a lot, and I think that that happens when you're just around. Like the level gets lifted, and then you just lift your expectations. But like, how are you looking at your technique of? of actually riding the bike and trying to improve yeah it's funny because like i feel like i don't know whether it's my technique or my style on the bike but i feel like i don't look that good on the bike and um but anyway your style's sick you reckon yeah thanks yeah i don't think you're killing it like you've got there's this there's a new style i reckon that's emerging yeah, and I okay. think that part of the reason why you're doing so good is because of how good your style and, and technique is. Like, it's so, just looks solid and it looks like you're using the, like, you've got advantages with, like, your leg length and yeah. size and stuff like that. And it actually looks like you're using that to its its potential. Yeah, I feel like the only sort of thing that I struggle with is the the hips, you know? Like or the straight back when I'm standing up in the attack position, I tend to. I think it's because like I need to work on the strength there and endurance of my lower back. Yeah. Um, but I tend to just roll it a little bit when I'm standing up on the gas, especially in sand. Yeah. Hard pack is seems to be alright because you can sit down a bit more, but um, yeah, for the sand that's sort of the issue at the moment. But like I said, when I first went over with and rode the bike the first time Livia was there. She comes in and she goes, I, I don't I can't tell you anything. Your technique is perfect. And then I like went same with Eric Sorby, he's like, Don't change a thing. Technique's really? perfect. And I was like, 
surely I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, <know>? like give <laughs> me something to work on. Yeah. But they're like, no, nah, you just, if you put in the work, do the fitness, do your motos, ride with some faster guys, you'll you'll be sweet. So have you got like a technique coach or anyone that like helps you work on that stuff? Nah, so pretty much it's just been growing up from doing schools um, with Uncle Pete, mum and dad and uh, just watching, really watching others and trying to learn it myself. And I feel like, that's when I tend to learn it the best is when I watch others yeah. and go and pick up on it and go, oh, okay, I see why. Yeah. And then I do it myself and that's when I tend to find I learn it the fastest. Yeah. Um, rather than someone trying to explain it because then you don't really know exactly what you're trying to do. But um, I have Eric Sorby there and he's... Honestly, he's a funny dude. Yeah. Eh? Honestly, he's just there to... Like, he helps out to look, like, at the lines on the track, like, tells me where the MX2 guys, if... if yeah, you know. yeah. But, honestly, it's just there to make life more enjoyable, too, because, like, I'm, like I said, growing up, whenever I'd want to do training or whatever, I didn't really like it. It always had to be enjoyable. So, like, when we're at the race with HRC, it's a very... Serious. Serious yeah. vibe. And I'm the type of person where it's like, okay, you be serious when you need to be serious but you got to enjoy life too and and i'm not the one to go behind like the starting gate before the race and you know got the sunglasses on hat on and yeah. be serious you know like i'm there to have conversation with I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> siri whatever mate <laughs> just relax siri yeah. oh now mine's going off <laughs> so everyone's just going off <laughs> that's so funny um who who are you like looking at that has the best style in in the world right now who do you reckon or like technique technique is prada you reckon for sure what about tim tim yeah tim is good too but um like the top there that is like if you were to write it in a book it's Prado, and you just look at how he stands on the foot pegs, yeah. the position of his shoulders and his back and whatnot, and it's just like, how can you go that fast and be that perfect? Yeah. Know? Like, Tim Tim is like that too, but when he starts to go fast, it... He's, like, putting more effort in, like, English into the bike, yeah. yeah. exactly. And so you just, like, Prado just doesn't break that. Sexton's like that. He just doesn't yeah. break his technique at all, yeah. and he can just go as fast as anyone. The, the weird thing about Sexton is that he doesn't look like he looks far enough ahead because of his neck brace. That's the only weird thing about his uh, style, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, it's, it'd be crazy what, like, you could see compared to, like, I'm pretty into the whole technique side of things these days. Yeah. But it'd be so much, it'd be so crazy to what you could see compared to me. Yeah, but... I mean, it's not rocket science either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you watch someone for long enough and you know what you're looking for, then then it's easy to spot. But if you don't know what you're looking for, like... But you know what's funny is, like, Jasmine started to, you know, ask me questions like, oh, you know, what's technique and whatnot? And I started to explain it to her and she's like, oh, you know, I, I can see that. Like, yeah, you know, like, Fev stands on the balls uh, on the, on his heels or whatnot, but you and Prado are like really on your toes, and so like so for someone who hadn't even been in motocross for a year, yeah. I'd come back from practice and she could like tell me some things. But 
Yeah, that's cool. Like, because so. you're right, it, it's only a few. That's like when I was playing heaps of golf. Like, that's one of the reasons. What's it's the reason I love jujitsu too, because the technique is just insane in it. Like, there's so many details. I feel like there's so much more in something like that than yeah. there is in motocross. Oh, I totally agree. But it's made me look at motocross completely different. Yeah. And like the the training aspect of it, doing drills, because I know that you guys did a lot of drills back in the day, a lot of yeah. flat tracks and speedway stuff, like. Pete was always mixing up what everybody did. Like you never really knew what you were going to do when you got to the track. Yeah. You just got there and, and Pete told you like, yeah. All right, this is what we're doing today. But with like, you lose that at some point and you just go and ride and then you yeah. just don't really get better and you wonder why. Yeah. And that's my dad is always on to me. Do you go slow races? Do your front brake slides? Do you all the old there? school stuff? Yeah. Cause he's, it, because at the end of the day, the technique is basic and to learn it or to refine it, you've got to do basic stuff before you go out on the track and yeah. try to ride full gas because you're not going to learn it that way and you're not going to remember how to do it anyway because all you're worried about is twisting the throttle then. So it's, but I, you got to just do it in small blocks. I tend to find too. Otherwise you just get sick you of it, yourself. you know, and you yeah. get bored and then you won't want to do it for a long time. So if you go to the track every time and you do a cup five to ten minutes every day, it's better than doing one hour every six months or something. Yeah, yeah. So. Did you see that video that was going around on socials of, of Tim going through that that whoop sort of sand section? I can't remember the track, but it literally looked like it was fake. Do you remember seeing no, that? No, I didn't see it. Was it? Wait, Ronan, can you try and pull that up on the on the laptop? Was, was it, it at Lommel, dude? I saw I saw this video and was just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is going on here? I don't know whether it was just like the, I wonder if the wife. Oh, yeah, go to Alpine Group, yeah. Yeah, the, it was the most insane, like, I feel, oh, you know who posted it? It was Pete Fox. Oh, you got it? Yeah, he knows. Oh, he wasn't going through the whoops, but he was It was like a whooped the, out sort of yeah, section, yeah. yeah. You remember seeing that? Got, and it was just like, his body stayed the same height and the bike just went underneath him. And yeah, he was yeah. Like surfing, you know? like Dude, I watched that and I just like, yeah, let's just watch this shit real but quick. He's he's like pretty much ridden sand every day to to work on that. Oh, really? This year. Yeah. yeah, right. Oh, true. So this year he made like a big sand commitment. Yeah. But I think also too, the... Is the, that it? The new... No. Oh, the it's the next one on the left. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah play that. What? <laughs> Log in, Ronan. Yeah. I don't know my password. Hopefully the password's saved, eh? By the looks of that. And don't show all them. Number. Don't show all them on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> just click on one. It should autofill. Put yours nah. in. Nah, nah. I'd let none of them work. Ah, never mind. We don't have to watch it. If you know the one. Anyway, yeah. So I've seen it. And yeah, it's... Yeah, he worked on sand every day. But like I said, the new bike too, I think, is a lot better for the sand. Yeah, right. So it's a lot lighter and, the yeah, you're able to, like, get the balance a bit better on the bike because you know how the last ones were really front-end heavy? Yeah. And they turned really good, but which is downside to the sand. Yeah, because it, like, just makes it tuck a bit too much on the sand. Yeah, whereas this you can sort of really pull the... Is nah, this it? It won't be on there. Like that. Probably not. 
But you know what Tim's really good at? What? Is crashing and not get injured. Dude, there was... Uh, did you see that Mike Sleater segment where... Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe this is it. What's this track like to race? Don't know. I've never been there. Oh, you didn't get to race it? <laughs> Look at that. Oh, my God, bro. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand how... He like look at Fev going through that section. He's just like elbows everywhere. Yeah. Wow, man. Dude, but the amount of energy that would take to you know like what for Tim? Well, at just that end part there, like when he's going up that single, but through the other section, like it would be a saving energy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what? How much time have you spent at? Lommel practicing though a lot. Never, no? I've what? never been you never, there, man. What? I've never been there. How? Never, <laughs> because last year. Go there. Looks good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we were planning on going there after Latvia um, this year, but then there was talk that it wasn't going to be on. So I was like, okay, well, I won't bother going there. How have you never been to Lommel, bro? That's so because disappointing. Because I lived in the southwest of France, and now I live in Italy. And, mate, you're not going to find a track that looks like that in Italy. Nah. So, so what, why do you live in Italy and not where, like, everyone else does? Yeah, because the, I have to be close to the team. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. And what's that for? Is that because, like, you don't get your own practice bikes and all that sort of stuff, like, to where you couldn't just go and do that? Yeah, well, they used to have a workshop in Holland. Yeah. Um, but that was HSF workshop and HSF no longer sponsors the team. So they don't have a workshop there. And, um, so they just didn't get a workshop this year. So. so you can't really put in like crazy amounts of sand practice. No. Damn. That's got to be like kind of difficult when you yeah. go to these sand tracks. <laughs> like, do you feel like a kook in the sand? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I used to be really bad at sand and then I did, I spent two months, uh, Ross Beaton's place. Oh, yeah. Chad's brother. And the, just the few things I learned off him were... He's a pretty good night, coach, eh? Night and day. Just, I used to be full front brake in the sand. Yeah. Know, like, and and then he's like, just don't even use the front brake, only rear brake. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. But you watch Hurling's ride and he never takes his foot off the rear brake. Yeah, so he's only on the, on the rear in the sand. <laughs> yep. Yeah, dude, yeah. the sand's just its own deal too. Like, it's yeah. just everything that you know about riding a bike, you got to kind of throw it out. Yeah, and you always hear, like, you know, sand gods or whatever, and they're always like, oh, can they ride hard pack or whatever? I feel like if someone's good at sand, it's easier to teach them how to go fast on hard pack than yeah. it is someone who's good in hard pack to go to sand. Yeah, yeah, well, that hurlings is like, and Regan Duffy. Yeah, dude, Regan is a savage in the sand. Like, I would love to see him in the GPS and get to like live at Lommel. Can you imagine the shit that would go down yeah. if that dude lived at Lommel? Because <laughs> yeah. like, he's just one of those. Well, all the WA guys, they they've got to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have sand like that in WA. Yeah. Know? So they they don't need to go and live at Lommel. Yeah, true. Yeah, but it'd be sick to see what Regan could do. Yeah. I reckon like I reckon he's like a a dude that could do sick in the GPs. Well, Caleb did good too, like because he's a good sand guy from living up in a hot springs for his whole yeah. life. Yeah. Well, I think a few more years and and um and Regan should be over there. Yeah. I think I think it's smart that he hasn't gone yet. You reckon? Being at his age, 
because for sure like me if i went over there last year and i was i went when i was 20 if i riggins what 17 or 18 yeah if i had gone then i would have spent three months and came home have you heard about like people calling him and shit like have you heard stories oh mate there's always rumors i first there was rumors of him yeah he was gonna be with um hrc um with us this year but then there was talk of him being gas gas or something over there and then the latest one apparently he rang todd waters asking to get a red bull deal because he was gonna go with um he was gonna be with hrc and i was like well I know that story is a load of crap because... Because <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> no, because you, at HRC, you're not allowed a, a energy drink sponsor. Yeah. So... Yeah, man. It, yeah. I, it's interesting that that whole deal hey, but of like... there's rumours floating around everywhere of everyone from Australia going over there, so... Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I think the staying home for a bit. But then like... But I feel like Jets just changed everything now because like... Because the, the thing is, you got to think that a guy like Jet comes along. So people haven't been looking for the 16-year-old stars, right? Yeah. Like, that's sort of been, like, there was James and Travis. Yeah. And then really, like, no one's been chasing a young star. Yeah. And I think that Jet has kind of just, uh, it's probably, he's probably just changed the market to where it's like, who's the next 16-year-old phenom? And then all the kids that are 16 yeah. are now going to be like, well, I could be Jet Lawrence. He's kind of laid, yeah, yeah. regardless of how good he does, like he has changed the industry in that way. Yeah, for sure. But I think if you were to go over to Europe or America by yourself, yeah. it's not going to work. Like the the amount that that family has put into getting over there is is truly amazing. And it's... It wouldn't have worked otherwise, you know. Yeah, like uh, like Jet by himself, it, it, he's not the same guy. Well, the kids still watch his Frozen, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> 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 no, but like it, even yeah, you always have to have some sort of support with you, and if you're going over there and doing it by yourself, it's really difficult. And that's I give a lot of credit to Jed because he yeah he's been doing it by himself, and but. It's hard. Yeah. And so for him for him to be where he is and by himself is is pretty incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people, like, on face value, they probably wouldn't they understand, understand the the what the Lawrence family did to leave when they did. Like, no. Jet, Jet was probably, like, thir- what, 12 when they, like, literally moved to Europe? Yeah, something like that. But, I mean, that's just a, yeah, that's just a, I guess that's what's allowed that to happen. But I think that people are going to be looking like 16 is going to be this new little magic number to like, we got to get that next kid now, you know? Yeah. But again, you know, like there's only so few of them every now and again. Yeah. So I think, I think too, like with Hunter, Jet and me come from Australia, a lot of them started looking to Australia to find that next, you Mm. know, Cause, so which was which is good for Australian motocross because now that they are looking at but you got to be ready, but you have to be ready, mm. and you have to be ready to make a lot of sacrifices and a gamble, mm. a lot of risks, you know. So 
Yeah, and just prepared for those just depressing <laughs> days, <laughs> like staring at a wall. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Nah. I mean, I feel you. That's well, definitely like America was pretty similar like that. There's times where, now I remember times where like I had no money to pay my power bill. Yep. So I had no, and it was freezing cold. And then everyone just is like, we're going to Vegas for the weekend. And I'd just be sitting at home, literally no food. I had dog food, luckily. I could feed my dog. <laughs> and I just ate noodles for fucking a week just with no power in the house, like yeah. lighting candles and shit. And you're just sitting there thinking like, why Why would I do this when I've got all these rad people at home? Yeah. But then at the end of the day too, like I always have, you always have to say to yourself, Australia is always going to be there yeah. to come back to. Yeah. And thankfully in my position, my mum and dad are always going to have my back no matter what, you know. If I need a place to stay or something, I got no money. They're going to take me in and and help me out until I get back on my feet. So you got to take the gamble, you know. So and try to enjoy it as much as you can because not everyone gets to do that. Mm. You know? Like most people, all my friends, you know, from school went off and do uni, and they're still in Cairns or whatever, or in Brisbane. And I've travelled the world pretty much gone to places where i never thought i would have and got to got paid to do it too you know so no sweet well we just did i think we're over three hours you guys gotta go i'm stoked man i didn't think that we were gonna get this one in so in the flow mate yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's crazy eh? yeah no i'm stoked i didn't i did not anticipate getting to do a podcast with you in the studio i thought i was gonna have to call you one day while it was at a weird hour in europe yeah, well, stoked we got it done. Yeah, stoked to stoked to be here. So, cheers, thanks mate, for having me on, mate. No drama. It's twenty twenty one. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. See. Legend. Fuck, that went fast. I'm not busting. I'm busting. Yeah, I need to pee as well. That was really Awesome, bro. I'm going to go. Oh, you go.